Welcome back to the channel. This is Kingdom in Context, and I am Sean. I want to thank you for joining us here tonight for a good discussion with a fellow brother in the faith who's also started his own YouTube efforts to go out there and spread the good news. And we're going to discuss some of his experiences so far. But before we do that, I just want to say thank you for joining us for this live broadcast. If you haven't already, hit the thumbs up. Subscribe if you haven't. <laughs> I don't know if you've been unsubscribed by YouTube. If you have, try to subscribe again. You can also follow us on Rumble as well as thank you so much for everyone that's been um, supporting us by purchasing one of our first Enoch contextual study guides. So I think it's been a blessing. We've been getting a lot of good reviews on that, as well as all of our awesome patrons. Um, I do want to encourage everybody. We do. I'm desperately trying to finish up some of these uh, large um, quantities of of books that I've been doing for the contextual study guide, the bigger, larger project. The first Enoch is just a solo project from the bigger, larger collection of scriptures. But uh, I have been working on several books that I'm about to get to the editor very quickly. Um, just trying to finish them up. Just, just, go, just, it's a, what do they say that in writing? They say it's like an editor's curse where um, you go back and you like change, you keep editing yourself and you keep changing things and keep trying to make it better and better. But at some point you just got to cut it off send it to the to the final editor and get it published and so those will be released on our patreon at the family tier uh, for early access as we continue to complete the overall project thank you guys for your patience on that it's been a really busy last several months and so um we're, we're definitely get some good ground to be caught up on all those and um also a big thank you to all the moderators that are in the live chat now i don't anticipate any crazy um any crazy uh trolling tonight or or topics of discussion that might bring in <laughs> A lot of people that that sorely disagree with us and can't keep the peace. But if you find them or if you see the, the spam bots coming in with the bad links, please thank you, moderators, for taking care of that quickly and for keeping peace in the live chat. You guys are awesome. Uh, we really appreciate you guys. But without further ado, let, oh, wait, download the Kingdom of Context app. You guys see this? You see this app right here? It's free. It's in the video description, Apple, Apple or, or Google Play Store. Um, you can download the Kingdom of Context app. And you can be notified when we go live, so you don't have to depend on YouTube. Um, we you can we also upload articles exiting scripture. You can see links to other awesome channels, and we have a fellowship finder on there. If you want to find fellowship in your area on the map, you can. There's fellowship all over the place. It's pretty amazing, and uh, it's growing all the time. And we're even adding some new features right now. It should be released, Lord willing, here in the next few days. So download the app. It's free. I think you have a good time. A lot of people have been asking me with the app. Uh, just in case you didn't see some of our videos we put out a few months ago explaining how to use the app. And that's that's in our video catalogs. So you can find that uh, here on the channel. But um, when you start, when you open up the app, you get to choose your own tribe of the 12 tribes of Israel. And there is no great significance there. You can just choose whichever tribe you feel it, you're drawn to or that maybe might fit your profession. So I've actually included with the tribes some some different professions uh, that I see them being equated with in scripture. And as a result of that, it's just for fun, just to get your mind thinking kind of biblically, um, because at the resurrection, we'll all be put into some tribe, one into the other. There's no Gentile tribe. It's all the tribes of Israel. 
So uh, hopefully you can have fun with that and just pick a tribe. You put in your, your personalized four digit pass passcode, whichever one you create, and then that secures your username so that nobody else can use that username. And then that's how you start and open the app and then get in there and you can start interacting and commenting on the posts and commenting on other people's comments and have a good time, hopefully. So we thank you so much for everyone that has downloaded it. And if you haven't already, why haven't you done it? It's amazing. We're gonna have some really cool, it already has cool stuff and we've got more cool stuff being built into it right now and it's completely free. It's a benefit, a big thank you to everyone that supports what we're doing. Uh, this is just one of the ways that we're saying thank you. So you guys are awesome. Without further ado, let's bring in our brother, Andrew LeClaire from Outside the Camp. Hello, Andrew. Welcome. Hey, Sean. Thanks for having me, brother. Yeah, yeah, man. It's it's uh, it's good to, good to have you. I appreciate you joining me. And uh, tonight we wanted to kind of just give you a give you a big welcome to come on and, and tell us a little bit about your heart for why you started the channel, because uh, I, I caught a couple of your videos and uh, I, I was happy to see and hear what you're doing all right i think uh you're you it sounds like you've put your time in in the word to be prepared to have these conversations and you've been uh inviting the pastors to come on and speak with you and ask them why they teach what they teach and i think that that's uh very it's, i know personally that's not easy so um i know that uh, it takes a lot of time and prep and overall just courage because unfortunately these these conversations kind of devolve into accusations very often which is sad but i saw you handle it with grace and with strength and i said awesome this is the kind of stuff i, I want to see out there and i hope that other people want to support him as well so brother if you will real quick tell us a little bit about like i guess tell us about your if you give a, a short maybe two minute synopsis on your testimony and and what led you to where you are today sure yeah so first of all i appreciate the encouragement um so my name is Andrew, first of all. I have a beautiful wife of 10 years, and we just had our anniversary last week. So, And we have three beautiful children, Molly, Elijah, and Hannah. They love. I'm sure they're going to love the shout-out on Kingdom and Contacts for sure. Um, so about two and a half years ago, things really changed with the whole COVID thing. And, you know, my, at my job, where I was pretty comfortable, and I still am, I'm still there, and uh, they were doing the whole... Uh, you know, jab mandate and all these things. And it, at that period of time, uh, a little bit before that, I had been a leader in, in a, a non-denominational church and I kind of backed away because I just felt like there was some gaps in the wall and I just didn't, I didn't know, I didn't identify them yet. And I just, I didn't know what was going on. And, and I started kind of drifting, not drifting away, but not backsliding, but kind of just being less serious. I know that sounds cliche, but I wasn't ser as serious as I could have been or I should have been. Uh, but nothing like a little shock therapy, you know, with world events going on and giving you a little wake up call and saying, hey, you know, w w no matter what you do as a follower of Christ, the enemy is still moving. And, and do you need, do you, are you going to stand or not? Are you going to get in and pick up your sword and fight? Or are you going to sit there and let him just plow over you? Because it's going to be one or the other, no matter what. And so I started seeing how the enemy was working in the in the whole COVID event. And I realized, oh my goodness, things are happening, things are moving, I need to get into the word. And uh, at this point, my wife was, you know, I was, I was trying to get back into a ministry and whatnot. And I knew that from every which way the enemy was gonna come at me again, because I was, I was trying to get back on the horse and um, everything that I had learned in church about what the enemy was like was kind of uh, you know, he was, he was trying to lead you away from sin, but at the same time, because of the narratives in the church, 
where, where Jesus has freed us from the law and having to obey that, also, he could also be making you go back to command, certain commandments, right? That's how the enemy works, apparently, in, in the churches. So when I seen that my wife was gen, genuinely asking me, confronting me about, about things that she didn't learn uh, in these conversations that I was in with church leaders where they were pouring into me from, from seminary and Bible college and what they had learned and how to have a certain perspective when you approach the scriptures— you know, she didn't have that kind of uh, influence. And so she can look at the scriptures as just looking at it for face value and saying, okay, well, there's no reason for me not to do this. You know, they don't, she, doesn't, she didn't know all the terms and, you know, oh, new covenant, old covenant, you know, this has changed in Jesus and, you know, this, this, and this and kind of twist around a bunch of verses. She didn't understand those things. So it was easy for her to be like, well, why don't, why don't we do the Sabbath? Why do, why do we eat? things that God tells us not to eat and you know and she these would be genuine questions and I would be like oh no problem she's just asking me so I got to do my job as a, as a leader in the in the house and kind of steer her the right direction and so I gave her the typical responses you know Jesus freed us from these things and these are no longer part of the the church no longer part of Christianity and um, you know Jesus brought a new religion I didn't say those words but that's basically what I was saying and that so, is what you're describing, right? That is what I'm describing, yes. And so when I seen that my wife was asking me these things and I was giving certain responses, but they would be shot down instantly because I, I go out there and I, I, I put myself out there as a street evangelist as well. Many times I've been out there and I've realized that you have to know what you're talking about if, if on a certain subject because you're going to get eaten alive. If you have, if you don't, if, if you have not studied the subject... You might not want to talk about it in public because there's going to be people up there and you don't know what they know. So you better be confident in what you're saying. So I realized I had to make sure I was studying deep and understanding their position, their arguments, and knowing how to respond in a truthful way, right? Because I know that truth will ultimately withstand scrutiny and it will prevail. And I want to be on the side of truth. And so it, it was concerning to me when I couldn't answer even the simplest questions from my wife in these subjects. And so... I kind of took the shortcut in that instance and I was like, well, I'll trust my leadership. I'll go back to my pastor and I'll just ask him what, what he says. How did he deal with this? Because obviously when I came to this, you know, into the Christian into the Christian church, I understood that these things were already dealt with in history. So I'm kind of just picking up in a spot in history where all these things have already been dealt with. I don't have to deal with them. All I got to do is ask them and they'll tell me, well, how do I deal with this? And they told me, you know, this and this and this. I can't exactly know, I can't remember or recall the, the exact arguments that they were, they were saying, but essentially it was, you know, this is, it started out like, you know, okay, we'll just give her this, you know, Acts 10, you know, uh, Acts 15, you know, and uh, Colossians 2, all, all these different uh, verses that you, you were well aware of uh, that they bring up. And so I started with that and uh, she was just simple questions, right? Well, if Paul is against the feast and the Sabbath, why does he tell the Corinthians to observe the, the Passover? Why does he tell them to do that? And then it was also his custom, right? And you see all these different situations in Paul's letters where it appears that he's actually instructing the people to be Torah observant. And so oh, yeah. I don't know. I don't know if this is too long of a. This is a little bit more than two minutes. I hope that's okay. It's, it's okay. Okay. Sorry, right, brother. Go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. I'm trying to. I'm trying to do it as short as possible, but. Um, but anyways, I, she kept 
shooting these down with just genuine questions. Well, why this? Why that? And it didn't make sense to me. It was it was resonating to me because I was like, okay, imagine if I'm in public right now, you know, what would, how would I respond? I would look pretty silly right now. So this was kind of the the mindset that I was that I was that I would have as I was approaching the situation. It was like, okay, how would I deal with this in public? And yeah. and so I would go back to my pastor, and my pastor all of a sudden it wasn't a light issue anymore. Is your wife is out of control? And Satan is in your house and he's trying to bring you back under the law and wow. bring you this and this and this. And, and, you know, it wasn't like, you know, he was being malicious about it, but it was the dogma that you, you, you understand completely. It was just the dogmatic language. It wasn't necessarily he was hateful uh, in, his, in his tone or anything like that, but those words. Well, as were, what you noticed is his, his approach changed. His approach instead of supplying scripture and exegeting it turned into theological intimidation exactly because That's what they he have was to resort to yeah because if you didn't believe his misinterpretation of acts 10 of pigs floating down on a blanket and something that makes all things eat- eatable then you know i i need to threaten your your heart your salvation and even your marriage right because now that puts you as a husband in a really weird spot to, to think that you're somehow have a partner who's not equally yoked with you anymore and satan has gotten a hold of her somehow right so that's just absolute theological intimidation and that's that's travesty that this kind of stuff happens it's it's absolutely uh a a travesty and it's it's the reason why i i i i I have compassion and i have patience with people when i'm talking about this because i know that that i too was was believing these this kind of narrative but at the same time I'm I'm really abrasive sometimes uh, in some situations I would say because when I'm dealing with certain people who who have heard the arguments who have heard the 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 logical uh, the logical way people like you will actually demonstrate from the scriptures how this is not biblical this is not a biblical narrative and it doesn't matter to them because this is tradition and so those are the people that that Jesus also was pretty abrasive with in the scriptures. It wasn't just the people who were like, Oh, I've never heard this before. You know, this is interesting. It wasn't people like that, that he was, he was calling a hypocrite. It was the people who understood that, hang on this, actually he might be right. And they knew Yeshua was right. Actually, they were like, we need to make sure that he doesn't get out of that tomb because we actually believe that he's going to raise from the dead. So those are the people that are, I have less patience with, but I'm, I'm still trying like, like, like you. Um, but it, it started, it, it started to go that route where he was like, okay, now this is concerning. You need to address this in, and this is an, this is an issue, right? Your family's under attack. And so I started saying, you know, this is, this is scary, Rachel. I don't know what to do this and this and this. And eventually I was just, I went back to my pastor again and I was like, this is, this is what's happening. And he had convinced me in my mind that because of this narrative that I believe that because Jesus freed us from the law or freed us from certain commandments, instantly when you see someone trying to teach those certain commandments, that's the opposition to the gospel because that's, those are the things that the gospel frees you from. Yeah. That's right? what they've equated over time. Yeah. I mean, you, you may have, I don't know if you saw recently, I did a, a discussion with um, a professor, his name was uh, Earl Solberg and um, towards the very end um he made a quick little insertion in one of his statements expressing that exact same sentiment, which is, well, that can't be because uh, that would be against the entire gospel and the whole reason that Jesus came. 
and I, I didn't want to address it. I just let it go and decided to, you know, I, when I'm having these live conversations with people that adamantly disagree with me, you have to choose your pick your battles wisely because if you can get them off into a rabbit trail and you, you never get back to the original topic, which sadly does happen because not because I want it to, but because so many things trigger them according against their tradition, they, they can't stay focused, you know, but I agree with you. That has been, seems to be the general narrative that's been carried over from Catholics to the Protestants for hundreds of years is that Jesus freed you from anything related to Jewishness. And as a result of that, if you try to emulate any of the law of God, well, that's just for Jews and you're now a Christian. So there's, and this actually goes all the way back to like the second century AD. So real quick, how, by the way, how's our stream doing tonight, Andrew? Can you hear me very well? I can hear you great. You can? Okay. So I'm gonna hold up one, one finger. Is that good? I'm gonna hold yep. two fingers. You see two fingers? Two fingers. Okay. I'm just trying to check in my real time, real time reaction. It seemed like there's might be a delay. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, I definitely understand. It's really sad when they, because the moment they pigeonhole the whole concept into, well, Jesus freed us from all the old Testament stuff and they don't define any other terms, but they pigeonhole the whole concept into that little idea then it's hard to get them back into a rational discussion because to them, you're rejecting Christ. You're rejecting the work that Christ did for you and trying to put someone back under the bondage of not murdering people, not stealing, not committing adultery, loving the Lord your God, with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. Apparently that's bondage. I didn't realize it was. Uh, or the fact of not beating my animals. Um, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like it, I, it baffles me because this whole thing is like, so wait, you're calling you the fact that that Yahweh instructed me to use equal weights and measures in business, meaning that I shouldn't rob people when I'm doing business with them. That was bondage. Is that is that what we're saying here? And it seems and, and you try to put it in that type of dichotomy just to break them out of the spell. And that's when they have a choice to make. Right. They can either try to uh, hand wave dismiss you and then jump to like certain passages that they commonly take out of context or they can try to address it and tap dance for 20 minutes. It gets really awkward. Um, and it's very rare that they maintain the fruits of the spirit while, while they're struggling against that type of cognitive dissonance. So, yeah, but I don't, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you too much. No, that's fine. I, I, I appreciate that. No, that's, that's absolutely true. And that was, that's one of the things that are is so telling about that position is the fruits that you can, you can, you can see because they just re have to resort to being mad and, and bullying like, like you already yeah. said. And yeah, it's, it's very interesting. And, and there's a lot of people in the chat tonight that have been kicked out of their church fellowships because of that type of conversation you had. So what was the conclusion after the, the pastor suggested your wife was under the control of Satan? Well, he, you know, the, the way that I had understood it, I was starting to believe that narrative because I was, I was coming to him now concerned, right? I'm like, what do I do? And all the while I'm going back and, and back and forth between my wife and my pastor, I didn't realize that, you know, I was kind of taking the Job route where he said that as the, as the palate tastes the food, so the ears, the word, the ears, the words, they taste the, they taste the words, right? Your ears taste the words and they kind of examine them. And that's kind of the route I was taking was like, I'm trying to figure out which one makes more sense at this moment. And so finally, what, what I was lacking, though, was internalizing it myself and going back to the scriptures and saying, okay, I need to understand this myself instead of listening to these arguments. But it does help to do that, of course, but you have to, if you, you have to do both if you're going to do 
the listening part. You have to go back to the Bible and internalize it yourself for sure. And so I went back to my pastor and told him what's going on. And it's like, you know, my, yeah, just as you said, pastor, everything's out of control in my house. And, you know, now she's saying that she's not going to feed my kids these things and they're going to keep the Sabbath. And that's scary because if you keep the Sabbath, doesn't that mean that you're trying to earn your salvation and you're now cut off from Christ, you know, and Galatians, right? And all these different things. And, and my pastor, his final kind of advice was to, here's what you got to do, Andrew. You got to go to the store, get yourself some pork and all these things, and you're going to cook it up in front of your family. And you're going to demonstrate that, you know what, guys, I don't agree with mom, but I have the freedom in Christ to make that choice because this is a, this is a matter of personal preference. And this is not an objective moral issue, basically, in, in other words. And so instantly, when I heard that, instantly, it didn't matter what the, what, what the arguments were. I knew a red flag instantly should have came up in my mind because I'm like, is that, does that really sound like the spirit of Christ to so, you know, you know what that would have looked like if I would have done that? The division yeah, well, that would have Exactly. That's undermining your wife in front of your children and showing a lack of solidarity in your marriage. And it's hard to train up children in righteousness when they see their parents at odds theologically. More than anything, it, it you know, for a pastor to claim that the dietary laws are not a moral obligation is is it flies in the face of, you know, Proverbs 16. It, there's a way that Stephen writes to him, but at the end leads to death. So like in all of God's wisdom that he gives us, it's we think that there's something we can do that's okay, but when we do it, we find out that it has bad consequences um, mentally, verbally, relationally, and you know, even with the application of our lives as we ingest food and water and drink, right? So in the same way, like, okay, well, I'm, most average churches today will still tell you not to be given into drunkenness, but because that's not a food law, Suddenly, suddenly the idea of, of there's a right and wrong standard for what you ingest into your body goes out the window because they would wholeheartedly agree. Well, we're not to be given into drunkenness. Well, I, I didn't I didn't just fall into a vat of tequila. You know, what I mean, like I had to <laughs> ingest it. You know, what I mean, in the same way, Yahweh told me, do not ingest certain animals. They were not created for sustenance as food. It's going to create bad things. It's going to it's, it's a bad thing for you. So obviously, in the same way, I don't want to. Now, Job 31, 1, he's like, I've made a covenant with my eyes that I would not look blessedly upon a young maiden. Um, some translations will say I would not desire a young maiden. That's what you're ingesting into your eyes, right? That's what you're, you know, feeding there. So it's this idea of Yahweh clearly cares about what goes into our body. Clearly, Absolutely. you know, through ears, eyes, uh, knowledge, you know, exposure, physical uh, water and, and, and meat sustenance. Um you know, so it's, it's baffling to me. So like they would, that same pastor would probably tell you, yeah, it's, we shouldn't eat or drink blood, but yet suddenly all these other meats are clean and you're like, but that's still the idea of putting food into my body, putting a liquid or a globular liquid in that case into my body, um, that my stomach has to digest. And that's clearly, he told me that's wrong. And you still agree with that one, but not the idea of me not eating a horse. So right. what's going on here? Like, you know what I mean? Like, um, it's just a strange double standard. It's a strange mentality that's been bred through tradition that doesn't really line up logically when you start dissecting it. And, um, yeah, I'm sorry, but yeah, just, so basically what, how did that work out? Did you have to just leave uh, fellowship with that church? 
So it didn't, that didn't happen initially where I left uh, the church because at that point, I kind of, at that point I realized I wasn't going to get further help um, from my pastor in that situation because it, it just, that was the last straw for me. I was like, I, this doesn't make any sense. So I, I got to go back and internalize it myself. And, and by the way, I forgot to mention um, the reason why these issues came into my house in the first place through, by, by my wife asking me questions was because she was reading posts and, and things from your wife, Lindsay. <laughs> I'm and sorry. So, <laughs> no, it was, no, it's, it's great. Yeah, I'm glad that the fathers worked it out for that you're both at mutual edification, but this is the initial knee jerk a lot of people go through. Yeah. Yeah, but it's it's so necessary, though, as you can see, because look at where we are now, where we understand that all of the Father's instructions are still applicable to us, and we just need to know who who and, and how they apply to. Yeah. And so, you know, at that point, I had to go back to the Scriptures and, and study myself, and um, I didn't even know at that point you had a channel. And so later on, I was I was studying... And, you know, I was going, I was listening to videos and, and whatnot, and I was learning so much and just reading the scriptures in a different light and in, in a new perspective. And it's actually logical. It actually made sense. Everything was lining up. Acts 10 made perfect sense. I was like, that's not, it, yeah, that, that makes perfect sense that he's not just saying, oh, yeah, all, all foods are clean. I actually, after all this was done, I, we, we had a, a Jesus show for our kids, and it was it's called The Lion of Judah. That's what it's called. Mm-hmm. And at the end of it, after the animals, it's like in the perspective of the animals. And at the end of it, the after Jesus dies and rises again, the two crows are sitting there and it's and it, they're talking and they're like, what does that mean? And he means, it means we can be eaten now. And he flies away oh, wow. and the other one's like, wait, really? You know, and he's flying away and I'm watching this. I'm like, this is what they tell kids too. Like, this is how they understand the gospel. And so all those things I was starting to see nothing about the resurrection, nothing about getting into the kingdom, nothing, no, just about, Oh, I can eat some, some blackbirds now. I eat crows now. No, nothing, nothing about the priesthood of Yeshua. Nothing about that. It was, yeah, I can eat whatever I want. Wow. And so I was starting to see with such a, a new perspective, it was enlightening to my eyes, right? The commandments are, are, are they enlighten the eyes and in the middle of that, there's so much in here that I'm not even going to touch on, but there's so much, throughout a year time i was when i when i started to understand that this narrative was false and i was starting to see the scriptures in a new light i didn't go back to my church and my pastor and i was like listen here scumbag that's not how i approached it i was like you know what i i understand why he said the things he said but here let me come back and i'm gonna come back and i'm gonna show him what the scriptures actually say this is amazing this is going to be awesome our church is going to grow he'll so just much be like oh thanks for clearing that up for me that's amazing yeah. i was teaching something different next sunday <laughs> yeah right it was very right. naive for sure because i went back there and you know all of a sudden now he, he he's concerned for me andrew andrew you, you know you're 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 actually drifting away from jesus this is what discipleship looks like in the modern day church is actually if you go back to the commandments it's you're actually moving away from discipleship in Jesus. And so it's just it was just interesting for me to start hearing these arguments and I'm I'm testing them. I'm like, wait a second, that doesn't make sense. So if it applies to this commandment that that would be moving away from discipleship in Jesus, what about this commandment? Well, that's different. You know, well, how is that different? And you start testing all these things and it's like that doesn't make sense. And so 
eventually it came to the point where he's now concerned for me. And there's a lot of things in, in between here that, that I'm missing. There was a lot of private conversations. I didn't go yeah. in, bust through the church and be like, you're, you know, you're teaching false things. I didn't never did that, but I had private conversations with the pastor and it got pretty, it got pretty hostile with the pastor and it got heated in some, in some moments because me and him have been on the front lines and, and other leaders in that church have been on the front lines of ministry for five years. So we were able to have those kind of dialogue uh, with each other where it was kind of heated, but it didn't, it didn't start that way. And so I finally was like, okay, we need to all just all the elders. I was in this, this room together. I, I was an elder in training is what they, they had me. in. so I was in this room and I was very close with these elders. And so I was like, let's call the elders together. And I want to talk to them. Well, they, they wouldn't do that. Uh, they wouldn't even talk to me. The rest of the elders, they my pastor had informed me that all the rest of the elders agree with me. They don't need to talk to you. They said, and so um, eventually what had happened was I had visited there a couple more times and, and they just didn't, they were just very hostile with me and they didn't want to, they didn't want to talk anymore. It was, it was so interesting because I thought that these people were the most humble human beings on earth and I was learning so much from them and I have learned so much from them, but it, it was, it just turned the table really quick. So while um, they thought you agreed with them, they were extremely kind and humble to you. Right. Correct. Correct. And so, you know, it, it kind of started where I, I came back and um, I, I just we just started internalizing these things and we started studying and we and my wife was like, you know, Lindsay's husband has a has a show as a, has a podcast. And I'm like, oh, interesting. So I started watching you. I started watching other people. And uh, in that time, though, I was sending sending them uh, videos explaining my position and trying to help them understand where I was coming from a little bit more. Like maybe they won't, maybe they don't, maybe they need to hear it from someone who can actually articulate these things in a better way. Well, they didn't even want to hear it. And so I finally got to the point where I was like, I want to get through to all these people, even the people who have just rejected me because of these, because I want them to just understand where I'm coming from. It didn't matter. They just didn't want to, they didn't want that. And so, but I realized that it didn't matter if I sent them this video or this video, they didn't, they didn't want, they didn't want to listen to it. They're like, Oh, I'm not getting tied up with the teachers that he's listening to. He's in, he got in something crazy. I'm not going to let them bewitch me too. And so I realized that if I don't get on here and just do these videos myself and talk about these subjects myself, then they, they might not otherwise hear it. You know, they might just want to hear it from me just to hear if I fall, you know, in my arguments, just to watch me crumble. And so I was like, I, I was like, isn't I it weird though? About these. Wouldn't, wouldn't, if they cared for you, like, not to say they didn't care for you, but if, but if their care for you extended to the same level that they do for the lost, you would think they would want to sit down and help you if they thought you were so confused and they could, and they could defend their position to help clear it up for you. You'd think they would want to take the time to sit down and say, okay, look, this is a part of what we do, or we're training this guy or he's an elder in training. So we, we definitely want to make sure he's got his uh, theology smoothed out he's going to be in our flock so to speak so you'd think that they would extend that same effort that they do to the lost to to bring in new people and explain to them their theology to them to you instead of just assuming oh this this guy agrees with us on every single point and he's never going to ask any questions the moment you start asking a few questions they suddenly withdraw their grace and kindness to continue explaining to you as if you were lost as well because they clearly think that you're denying the faith at this point is that a fair assumption Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I've, well, they called me a wolf. They called me a false teacher that, you know, this and this and this. And that was really my frustration 
was that if, if I'm so wrong and I'm a wolf and I'm a false prophet and I'm this and this, please just show me why from the scriptures. That's all I want to know. But it was just, it would, they would give the same verses and I would be like, well, that's not what it says. If you look at it in context and you look at here and here and you, you compare it to this verse, it just see how it doesn't line up. You're actually contradicting with the rest of the scriptures. And so we went on this for so long, you know, so that was my, that was my frustration though. Like you said, was if I'm, if I'm actually going away from Christ, please just tell me from the scriptures why. And it just didn't make sense. And so if it was so, if it was so bad to where I could, I'm a wolf and you can't even fellowship with me, but you can't explain it to me. That just, that just seems off. Yeah. That doesn't, that doesn't garner respect at all. Um, just because, you know, if, if they think that you're so dangerous, but they're not willing to defend their own position of why you're dangerous. Um, that to me, that just doesn't garner respect. It's really sad. Um, but we've seen it a lot. (laughs) We've seen it a lot. It's it's really, really sad. Um, in fact, you had a conversation recently. Uh, we're going to play a couple of clips from your, from your show and your, your channel. And by the way, guys, if you haven't already, um, go check out outside the camp on YouTube. And he's got a channel he's growing. So let's, let's see if we can get him growing on his subs. And um, we're going to take a quick look at one of your clips here from you did a discussion with a gentleman recently about the Sabbath. Is that right? That's right. Okay. Let me see if I can get to this. Oh, my bad. I had it pulled up and it's gone now. Um, here it is. Okay. So I'm going to I'm gonna play this for everyone to watch. And... You guys can check this out real quick. Sorry, one second. Uh, sorry, one second, guys. Okay, everyone in the live chat, tell me if you can hear the audio when this starts playing. Just put a one in the live chat if you can hear the audio. But, you know, the first thing we we can talk about here is this concept of sound doctrine. Okay. Right. Yep. And I'm with you. There there needs to be sound doctrine. Okay. But we need to define Wait, what we, sound we have to do as teachers. We have yeah. to teach sound doctrine. Yeah. We Otherwise, sound doctrine. we're going to be creating heresies. You know, we're going to be teaching the wrong things to others. Right. I agree. And you would agree that heresy is a deviation from the will of God and what he has prescribed as worship in his word. Would you agree with that? I, I do like what I'm okay. that's just what I said. You are right, free right. to do whatever you want. Well, we well, we know we're as Christians, especially, we're not free to do exactly what we want. You would agree that we're not we're not allowed to have um affairs with oh you know, with, I'm not talking right. about that. I'm talking about worshiping okay. the Lord. Right. Well, I would I would argue that obedience would be worship. Would would you agree? Uh um yes, of course. Okay. Well so the so Lord, I just to, oh, sorry, go ahead, brother. The Lord, right? We all have, we have, okay. Real Christians who are saved, who have the Holy Spirit, right? Ephesians 1 13 says clearly, as soon we accept the gospel with our heart, right? 
we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. So as soon the Lord seal us, right? Like Paul said, he put his Holy Spirit on us and his laws. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. When you, when you pray, out, so I just wanted to read up what Paul says, you know, because I, I agree we need to have sound doctrine, but he says here, as I urged you when I came into Macedonia, remain in Ephesus that you may charge some of them that they teach no other doctrine, which is along the same lines as what you're saying. It's, it's You're right, brother. Right. Nor give heed to fables and endless genealogies, which cause disputes rather than godly edification, which is in faith. Now, the right. purpose of the commandment is love from a pure heart, right? That's the reason for the commandments is that they're to be walked out in love, right? Yep. From a good conscience and from sincere faith from which some, having strayed, having turned aside to idle or empty talk, desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor the things which they affirm. But we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. You know, the circumcision party who were saying that, hey, these laws are a prerequisite for salvation. You need to do this because you actually haven't inherited anything. You haven't inherited salvation. You don't get the covenants. You don't get the promises until you actually go through our ritual of circumcision, which would make you a Jew in our prescribed manner, uh, you have to do that. So that is an unlawful use of the law. And so knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous person, but for the lawless and insubordinate, for the ungodly and for the sinners. Okay, and so he's saying, hey, the, the, the law is, is not for those who know what to do because they look at the law, they obey it, they love it. But it's actually shown for those who don't follow it to show that you're you're condemned for doing the things that the law says right like the speed limits or you know the well, cop giving you tickets they would say hey you know this law is, is meant for those who break it right that doesn't necessarily mean that those who that you don't have to obey the laws anymore just because it's not the, the law and the punishment behind it is not meant for the obedient right and just one more point here i just and let, just let me clear up here this okay. uh, sound doctrine thing but it says for the unholy and profane this is what this is who the law is for for the unholy and the profane and for the murders of fathers and murders of mothers, that's Genesis 9 and 6, and that's Exodus 20 and 13. And for fornicators, that's Deuteronomy 23, 22, 13 through 21. Okay. For sodomites, that's Leviticus 18, 22. For right. kidnappers, that's Deuteronomy 24, verse 7. And for liars... That's mm -hmm. Deuteronomy, I'm sorry, Exodus 20, 16 for perjurers. That's Leviticus okay. 19, 12. And then here's the crescendo. Here you go. And if there's any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine, okay, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which is according to my trust. So I would argue that the law, the Torah in Hebrew is actually sound doctrine. So it says, for I give you good doctrine. Do not forsake my Torah. Do not forsake my law. I don't know what Bible you're using, though. This is New King James Version. What, what translation would you like? I I just, I, <laughs> my Bible doesn't say that. Well, you don't have Proverbs 4 and 4 2? Uh, wait, wait, wait a second. See, the problem is, okay. You haven't understood. You need to let me finish it up. Okay. Well, I just so, wanted to define what about, term. How about let's sit 20 minutes, you talk, and then I'll talk after. Yeah. I highly recommend everybody go watch the rest of that if you can. Good conversation. Um, lots of back and forth, and, and they kept it respectful, even though it seemed as if your guest at one point 
you know, like you, like you just saw, he's like, that's not in my Bible. <laughs> You're like, wait a minute. This is why you see, as you've seen my channel, we try to be diligent in our practice to put our scriptures on screen. I appreciate that you were trying to do that with him as well so that the audience can actually see, here's this moment of cognitive dissonance. I put it on screen and they go, what? It's like, they've never seen it before. And, and, you know, I've had these moments privately with people where they've just never seen this before. You know what I mean? And to show people publicly, you know, is to me super important. Not, it, it is not to belittle the person that you're talking to. It's not to make them look bad. It's, but if those people are going to say you're a wolf, you're not of the faith, you're in sin, you, the devil's got a hold of you, you're creating strife and division. If those people are going to start accusing you because you're just trying to understand the Bible better, then it's fair to show okay if you're willing to talk with me publicly everyone's going to publicly see here's where you're ignoring the scriptures and that yeah. to me that's that's really important for us i mean it reminds me of yeshua matthew 22 29 you know a little hand hand check to the to the sadducees you're an heir not knowing the scriptures nor the power of god you know what i mean and that's where the sadducees according to i think it's acts 24 they didn't believe in the resurrection you know and so this is a problem that's one of the fundamental concepts of the covenant you know, so if there is someone that proclaims to be a leader in the community who is ignoring the, the scriptures and the promises of God and how we get to those promises, you know, which are the instructions of God, his good instructions. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, it just it amazes me because I'm sitting there going like we're all taught to be like Jesus. Right. Like when I was a kid, there was a huge craze about having these little slap bracelets that were what would Jesus do? You slapped him on your wrist. And uh, I'm like, OK, well, that means I need to be like Jesus. I, I felt like I got the message with the slap bracelet WWJD what would Jesus do okay so I need to behave like Jesus that means I need to think like Jesus at least this is how my mind worked as a kid trying to process this this four-letter acronym slap bracelet message from my youth pastor which was what would Jesus do when you're in trouble Sean when you're with a woman in the car by yourself what would Jesus do right and I was like okay so I'm a young man what would Jesus do and then I thought to myself I have no clue what Jesus would do because I don't know how he thought like I don't know what formed him to be the man he was. And then I was like, all right, well, but guess I should go read about him in his gospels. And then I start saying, what if I just memorized everything that he said and did, then I would get a better grasp on this character of my Messiah, how he thought and what formed his conclusions. And that just led me to him, me realizing he's just doing the law of God everywhere and teaching it. And he knew it so well, he could spot people twisting it and fakes and forgeries and he would address them. Right. And so it, it's just really sad that even leaders in our communities and our p potential churches that we've grown up in or go to, or, or maybe even uh, the first church we went to after we had salvation, suddenly those ministers are looking at you going, why are you asking these questions? I already gave you a bad answer. Why didn't you like my bad answer? <laughs> so it's right. like, why do you keep asking me again? Like, I thought I cleared this up. I, I told you it's Mark seven nineteen. all foods. Jesus said, all foods are clean. And you're like, wait a minute. Um, is that really what it says? I think you had to address this on one of your videos recently, right? Um, on Mark 7. Going over, going over Mark 7? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm not sure if I went over it with him there. One of, one of the people that I was talking to, their their internet cut, cut out, and I was like, well, I can't just leave them hanging. I need to show my audience. Yeah. I need to go through this. So I think I did that. But... It was the pastor actually standing in his congregation behind the pulpit. Yep, um, yep. And then his his cutout, but before that, you were trying to break the context of Mark seven down with the Pharisaical 
hand washing rituals and everything like that. And that's uh, it's just it's so easily misunderstood by the average, apparently the average pastor, seminary professor, like they just immediately they just read Mark 719 as if the whole chapter doesn't mean anything, you know, right. and you're sitting there going, well, well, you know, wait a minute now. Like the Pharisees are making a claim that's not in the Old Testament. Yeshua is trying to parcel out the difference and get rid of their tradition and and uh, stop hold the line against them imposing their tradition onto the regular people, and uh, and then he just explains the process by which all food is expelled from the body. and uh, And it's not it's not this idea of dietary instruction, nor does it possibly change. And so it's just really interesting to see how these particular topics uh, continually get brought up. And then immediately equated to your faith in Jesus Christ to say, oh, if you dare say that that suddenly the creator, what he told the people, um, you know, the prophets of old, he told them this is what they should and shouldn't eat. Um, suddenly, because you believe in Jesus as Messiah, all that's out the window and you can eat whatever you want. And it's like, you know, you, you, you try not to be hyperbolic with it, but sometimes you just want to say, are you really saying I can eat whatever I want? Because would that include cannibalism? Right. Would that include all the horrific practices the people of the nations did when they sacrificed children and ate and drank their blood? Like he reprimanded those people for that and judged their nations for that, um, said they were wicked for that. But you're saying now that we can eat anything? <laughs> like in Isaiah 66, he talks about those, you know, the mice and the, and the pig and these were abominations, you know what I'm saying? And there was an, actually an ancient Roman custom when they conquered a new people group that would go into their main tabernacle and they would slaughter a lamb, an oxen, and a pig in honor of Zeus um, or Jupiter to the Romans. And so that was kind of a custom that they had. And it was what they considered to desolate the other temple of that other god and show dominance of, of Jupiter. And, um, and usually they accompany it with the staff that had the eagle on top representing the, the current emperor at that time. And so it's just amazing to me. Like Yahweh thought that was an abominable act. And obviously when you slaughter something, you eat of it. Like that was an ancient custom and ritual was to eat of what you're slaughtering. And they just didn't randomly burn animals for no reason. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it was just like, it, there's so, it's, it's such an interesting conversation and I want to applaud you for some of the patient, patience I watched you have with some of these gentlemen that were clearly very triggered by what you're proclaiming and trying to patiently walk through them. And then of course they jump in and don't let you walk through it all. So um, what, what would you say? Well, for, for one, before I asked you that, I, I think I want to also just uh, compliment you on the beginning of some of your discussions I saw where you tried to patiently and painstakingly lay out some commonalities with the people knowing that you came to this discussion with disagreements you try to lay out some commonalities for the viewer to see hey i consider this guy brother of faith and here's some of the things that we agree on that are huge essential fundamental concepts of the faith you know that we're not in disagreement you're not you're not about to talk about some wonky outside the far left religious idea like we, we all agree in these massive statements of faith and, uh, and you try to lay that out. And a couple of times in the discussions I saw, they, they 10, 15 minutes later, they'd already forgotten what they agreed with you on. Right, right. And then started accusing you of not being of the faith subtly. And then that seems to escalate over time, the more you challenge their position. So, right. um, yeah, I just, it's, I just want to, you know, I guess the, the fun question I would have is, I I would, do you plan to continue doing your channel long-term? What do you, what do you see for your channel as it continues to grow? 
Well, just going off of what you were saying earlier about just the situation of the, the gentleman that I was speaking to, he kind of said the quiet part out loud, which was, that's not in my Bible, which if he has a, you know, if he has a Bible, it's in his Bible, right? But in their perspective, those things don't exist in their Bible. And so this goes back to, which is kind of, which is the reason why I want to start with the historical aspects of not just like arguing from the scriptures, okay, from this point of view, from this point of view, where did we get these point of views from in the first place? And so I, when I looked back and I investigated these, uh, these perspectives from, from church history, uh, I, I was so disgusted from what I seen. And, and I'm like, wait a second, this is where these originate from, you know, Marcion, he was, he, he, he chopped out books from his Bible. And he's not the only one that's ever done that, of course, but he chopped out books from his Bible. He was the first one to have the canonized Bible uh, with new Testament writings in it, had the first Bible in, uh, 144 AD, I believe it was. And literally those things didn't belong in his Bible because it didn't fit his version of, of the faith. And so, but today you can't just do that, right? You can't just, I mean, they do, they do cut out Bibles, right? And it's just accepted, or they do cut out books from the Bible and it's just accepted, uh, as you know, but they can't, they have to get a little bit more crafty now. They can't just say that, well, that book that is in our 66 canon, that doesn't just, we don't, we don't acknowledge that. They have to get craftier and actually twist the meaning of those verses so as to fit the narrative of their own heart. And so they, they keep the text, but they just reinterpret it right? They don't say that's not my Bible. That's what the, that's what the leadership does, right? If they're a little more crafty, uh, someone who's not as savvy in the word, they will just say, well, you know, I didn't know that was in my Bible. You know, that's kind of their, their, as you've seen the gentleman, uh, doing. And so my my answer basically is yes, I'm going to continue doing the things on my show because, but one of the things I want to tackle first is the historical aspects of these things. And what I found out and your, your channel is tackling them too. And I, I appreciate that. And the reason why I started doing this channel was, like I said, that unless they hear it from me, I'm not giving, you know, because I want to be vocal about these things. I'm like Jeremiah, who's just the the word of God, just like fuming in his belly. It's just got to come out. I I had to say something. I want to engage and and I want to lock arms with people like you and, and, you know, Ken and and Wes and uh, people like them who are actually standing up against lies and i wanted to lock arms with people like you and and say i want to i want a peace you know <laughs> i want to i want to fight and um you know so i want people to be able to the audience that i'm able to reach i want them to be able to go back and be like okay what is this guy actually talking about and have a whole place where they can see context for what i'm saying right because i see that there's so many people out there and on Facebook, especially, and, and they mean well, of course. And there's so many good things that still, if they don't have a channel and they're just posting on Facebook, some, some concepts that we've been talking about and, uh, that's good, but depending on who the audience is, they're going to look at that and be like, what in the heck are you talking about? You know? So you need to, you need to have some more context. And if they just look at one thing, they're going to just be like, okay, I don't want to hear anything from this crazy, not again. But if you, approach it in a different way and you offer context through a whole variety of different videos that you've done showing okay there's actually all different points I'm I'm tackling this issue from that that makes more sense to them so that's kind of what I was going for and that's kind of what, that's still what I want to do and so right now 
I'm kind of at a point where I'm trying to balance a lot of things because there's things going on in, in our life right now where it could, it could de- decide where I go, where the Lord wants to take me in this ministry. And, and we can talk about more of that later, but, um, yeah, I'm, I'm planning on doing more videos. Uh, I, I, I really enjoy being able, it's very fulfilling for me to be able to get my thoughts out there and just have it speak for me when I'm sleeping even, you know, so, right. um, and I'm, my goal obviously is to have enough content out there like kingdom in context where I can just be like, you know, someone's like, well, do you have uh, a video on this issue? And you know, yeah, right here, you know, I don't have to explain this over a long comment, you know, and it's, that's, that's where I, my goal is. And so, but right now at this point, what I've expressed in some of my videos uh, prior and some of my discussions is that at this point, I'm kind of wanting to just be a stepping stone, you know, to kind of just bring people in, help them understand historical aspects of the faith and, and where some of our perspectives come from when we approach the scriptures so that they can question that, you know, cast some doubt like, like Lindsay did on Facebook for my wife, you know, it just cast a doubt on, on the narrative that was the status quo. And so just doing that, that's all I, because it can change lives. It changes families. It's just opening your mouth and, and expressing and just standing firm in the faith. And so I, I want, I want to do that. I want to stand until the, till the day I die, Lord, Lord willing. And so, um, I wanted to be a stepping stone for ministries like you to just be like, okay, well, you know, here's a good, st- now that I've got your attention, let me point you to some ministries that have been doing this for years and there's so much content at, at your disposal. And so that's kind of where I'm at right now. Awesome. Yeah. I, I, yeah. If we all work together, we reach more people. Yeah. I mean, I love it. Um, that's the goal. And uh, we've, I guess we have enough time in at this point and our being our fifth year of having our channel that the folks like yourself and your wife, you found, our efforts. So like Lindsay, um, people always ask me, you know, like, why isn't Lindsay on the channel more? And I'm like, well, for one, she didn't sign up for this. This is a Mm -hmm. whole different concept. And two, um, you know, she doesn't like being on the channel. You know, she enjoys doing our, our Sabbath fellowship stuff, but she doesn't want to always, you know, she doesn't always feel camera ready that day, but she is blessed at, um, she's very, she's a wonderful writer and the father's blessed her with that gift to be able to communicate through the written word. And that's, that's actually what, um, her and I were attracted to each other from initially because we saw each other explaining scripture on Facebook. And, um, and so I was just, you know, like crazy dropping paragraph to paragraph, trying to explain scripture to people and, and not realizing that, um, I wasn't reaching people and she, she brought it to my attention and she said, we should just make videos and then we can just drop a link to these videos. And I was like, I don't know how to make that. You know, I don't know about all that, you know, and go back and look at my very first videos. It's literally just me with my laptop open with a blank wall behind me. And, you know, it was very horrible quality of all kinds. And, and, uh, but I, I mean, I could definitely see and felt as if I was, was stepping into my calling, not, and, but I was just trying to do it the long way by typing out individual answers to people on social media not realizing I could, you know, reach 10 times the people or hundred times the people, whatnot, if my videos kicked off, you know, and if I put the extra time and effort into making a decent video, people want to sit and watch. And, um, and so my, my desire to speak with pastors added to my content came later after I started my channel, because I realized I faced a very similar scenario with you with some people that I was interacting with from a ministry and they, 
you know, had a gathering of the elders to come condemn me out of the faith because I didn't believe in the Trinity. And so um, I realized, hey, this is a problem, you know, and this needs to be, if everyone could have seen the conversation I had privately with these people, they would be appalled and they would never watch their content again. Like this would be like that, that type of behavior should never be rewarded. And it wasn't just because I felt offended or I got my feelings hurt. It was like, hey, this is not shepherd behavior. This is the very people that are calling me a wolf for teaching something they disagree with are acting like wolves behind the scenes and devouring the sheep, which was me. You know what I mean? <laughs> so it's like, like this is not behavior that should be condoned. Like this, right. this should be marked avoid and called out like this is not this is not acceptable behavior in any system like if you just ran a business you know and um and you you were a new employee you know in three months in you had questions about your job still because you know even though even though you got out of your job training for your specific job type you, it may take you years to get really good at that position at your job but yet the foreman is not supposed to just come in or even the, the regional managers not just just come in and be like, Oh, this dude's not good at his job yet. Yeah. We know it takes like years for him to really get it, but he doesn't have it. He's been here three months and he, I, I don't like where he's at and I don't like him asking for more training and asking questions on why this machine doesn't do this or whatnot, or why we're doing this with this machine when the instructions say something else, like he shouldn't be questioning us. You know, we, we're not going to take any more time to train him. Let's just fire him and then make it and then po post his picture and the uh, employee break room about what a horrible employee was. You know what I mean? Like, like that's just, that is not the, this, the behavior I see ex, um, explained in the scriptures as what we're supposed to grow into, the fruit of repentance that we're supposed to grow into. It's, it's more of a, um, how dare you threaten my position of authority in this little realm, and I'm going to protect it at all costs kind of behavior, even if that means I'm going to destroy you in the process. And it's just it's it's not maturity you know and um and so it's not like i i developed a vendetta to make but no i just said all right well look if they have the cojones to speak to me like that privately let's see if they have the cojones to speak to me like that on camera right mm -hmm. let's see if they can be consistent and some of them are as you've seen on my channel <laughs> some of them absolutely are and good 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 I, i'm glad i commend them for their consistency and Thankfully, they got to show everybody that consistency, you know, because I think that that's something that needs to be seen. Um, <laughs> because to me, my good shepherd, that's my example, my Messiah, he was gentle, you know, with his disciples, even to the point of like, I think the harshest thing, well, I mean, get behind me, Satan. Right. But he, that isn't like, he didn't stop talking to Peter after that. You know what I mean? Like he continued to nurture and care and disciple Peter even after his resurrection. I mean, he had to, you know, I, I personally believe that after his resurrection, now that he's uh, exalted to the position of his priesthood, he is, and, and the angels are under his authority. That means that Yeshua would have been the one to command the angel in Acts 10 to go to Cornelius to say, go meet with Peter. Right. So the angel that, and then of course to give, you know, uh, Peter, the vision of the animals and everything. And that whole thing was to teach Peter the right heart. His heart was, uh, was kind of caught up still in the traditions of Judaism and their segregative mentality of that the Israelites were somehow better, inherently better in this racial prejudice than converted Gentile believers like, like Cornelius, the Italian. And so Peter had to be disciplined and further discipled into the right heart of Christ, even after Christ's resurrection and who knows how many years had passed at that point. 
from the moment of Acts 2 to Acts 10. You know, so like, it's just amazing to me, like, that's my good shepherd, right? That's my mm -hmm. example, my Messiah, my Yeshua. And I, I want to be like that with people. I just don't want to just absolutely kick people out just because they disagree with me. Now, when they're disagreeing with me, if they, if there's nothing but vile slander and attacks coming at me, well, then I have to put up boundaries because they clearly have not controlled themselves. You know what I'm saying? They're, they're, right. they're, they're not doing it in love or respect. They're like, they're in an attack mode now. So I don't feel like their questions are genuine. So it sounds like you had genuine questions. You weren't just trying to attack the people that you were asking questions from. Am I fair to, to describe it like that? Yeah, that's how, that's exactly how it was. I just wanted to know again, it was, if they took such a strong stance, if it was such a dangerous route to take, then just answer me a couple questions. But it was yeah. when you put it up against the wall, it don't stick. And so, right that's i liked what you said with your with the brothers from uh anchored on truth i think was the last interview that you did with the anchors of truth yeah yeah anchors of truth and you said that you know the good thing about these conversations is to have them up and leaders the people need to know if their leaders can teach from the scripture and it can withstand scrutiny and if it can't yeah. then what are you doing is what you said and i love that i was like that's exactly that just resonated with me so much because it's exactly you took the words out of my mouth that's exactly my mindset when i'm talking to these people is like okay you you're a leader that's assumed the role of a leader and you need to be able to show your your the people that you're over that you know what you're talking about and if you don't then just admit that you don't and that's okay that you can grow that you can adjust that's 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 what we all are doing when we come to this understanding of torah is like oh okay, well, I, I'm wrong in this. This is a point where now I can grow. And I talked about it in my last uh, discussion with the brother David Stephan, that you look in the scriptures, you see, first of all, with the, with the you know, get behind me, Satan, Yeshua was addressing and he was trying to help him identify the enemy that was spewing out of his mouth. It wasn't that he was saying, you are my enemy. He right, was saying, listen right. to what you're saying. Like, added up to everything I've taught you and, and, and who I am. Does that sound like me? Does that sound like something from my father? And so we, that's what we need to do is help the, the, the leaders and anybody else who's under them understand the voice of the enemy and compare it to the word of God. And so I forgot. Where yeah. And for I that. mean, we haven't even, you know, I, um, you're, you're accurate, you're correct, but you haven't even heard me use that type of language in live discussions with folks who dis we disagree correct because i know that would that would put them back on their heels so much it would come across as an accusation but you're absolutely right when someone looks at the bible and says no it doesn't really say that here's what it should say right you're like yeah and i should uh, clarify i've never called somebody satan i don't think either i right. believe if someone has please let me know <laughs> and i apologize but yeah I, I see what you're saying yeah it just becomes uh, such a such a difficult um, conversation to navigate in a very patient way to keep them engaged so they don't get fall off into spiral land is is when you have to call them out in a very nice way for saying, hey, bro, essentially you're doing exactly what the snake did in the garden. You're questioning what God clearly has said and you're getting other people to question it too. Did God really say? You may right. not be using those four words, but you're saying that, you're communicating that same message when I show you that it says his law, his perfect moral ways are eternal and he does not change. And you say, I agree with that, but here's where he changes later. Right. And I'm like, so <laughs> we have different definitions of reality and basic terminology. And so as a result of that, like it, it becomes a challenge to communicate that nicely and hopefully leave the bridge open so you can have communications later. Right. Because 
you know, it's um, no one, no one, especially if you're in a leader position, no one likes to be shown that you've really missed the boat somewhere. You know what I mean? It's a right. very humbling thing. You know what I'm saying? So imagine like I'm trying to think of a biblical example, like in the old Testament of, I don't know if maybe it was the battle of AI or, um, yeah, yeah. I think it was, uh, or it was from the Gibeonites, I think that had come down and made that covenant with Joshua. And then later the Lord had revealed to him, Hey, you made a covenant with people. I told you not to make covenant with cause they deceived you. You know what I mean? Like you totally missed this huge instruction. I told you about to warn and warned you, you missed this, you know? And, uh, and now you got to protect these dudes. You know what I mean? And so it, it, that, that probably did not look good. All the, all the leaders under Joshua looking at Joshua being like, Hey bro, like that, we, that's not a good look for us. You know what I mean? Right. Um, and now we got to go defend this clan amongst all these other clans around them that we're defeating. Like this is getting complicated and weird, you know? Um, so no leader likes to, to be called out that he's truly missed the boat, but that, that's it. That rub there is where it gets, that is where, it, where the nuance comes in, right? Because the leaders that you and I have been talking to, they're not, they're not in this position like Joshua was where you have an angel literally saying that guy is your leader. You see what I mean? They went to a seminary that taught them a certain narrative that then planted them in a church that was already established usually and said, here's what we teach. Here's our associational doctrine. Here's what we expect of you. Here's your goals for growing this church for next year please report all your financial numbers to us accurately. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, and, and if you don't do this, we got all these other dudes behind you who are training in a seminary that could replace you in a heartbeat. Right. So like, it's not the same type of like appeal to authority that even if they mess up, that they feel confident that their position is secure like right. Joshua. Right. Um, right. Because Joshua was said, like, I'm going to lead Joshua's going to lead you. Like it's clear he's taking over where Moses left off. But these other guys, they're just put in under man-made systems, and their their position of leadership is not as secure. I mean, literally, you we have pastors like we had our a pastor on our channel, we interviewed a couple years ago, um, and uh, and he was you know with Church of Christ, and he lost his position there because he went to a a conference that talked about biblical cosmology, which was something that his denomination teachings didn't agree with, you know. And someone found out that he went to that conference, and they, you know, they started. Um, uh, basically told on him if you, if you will and that ended up getting him fired you know hmm. and and it led this downward spiral where the the elders of his church did not agree with biblical cosmology they agreed with more the the nasa heliocentric cosmology and then that led to him being uh, fired from his church so his name is Nate Wolf and uh, we had a, he actually wrote a book called fired for truth and so that's uh we had him on a couple of years ago to talk about that and so um there's a lot of stories like that we've run into Right where even pastors start questioning things, and the the leadership above them doesn't like it because none of their positions are really secure. They're not appointed by the Lord in this grand fashion that they parlay themselves to their to their congregants. That's a good. Point. If their if their congregants left the building and stopped showing up every Sunday, those men they don't have some divine appointment by God that they're in like, like Moses or Joshua or Elijah, or, you know what I'm saying? Like Elijah was in his prophet and then he trained Elisha for almost 20 years to take over divinely appointed by an angel. Like this is the next guy you should choose. You know what I mean? Like that's a pretty sure place to stand 
and to know, okay, I can walk in the authority given to me because I've literally got validation from heaven. It's from God in heaven, right? Versus these man-made systems that we have where they don't have that and it becomes a point of insecurity for them when they're challenged. And this is me just trying to like really rationalize what I've seen over the past five years. You're just jumping into this. You've done a quite, you've done two or three so far and I think they're great. Um, I hope you can keep it up. Um, and, uh, but after me doing this for a few years now, and I'm trying to realize, you know, how can I make this more effective? I don't want them to devolve into arguments. Yeah. I want them to be more effective. And, and even if we disagree, let's at least keep the conversation going to a, to a reasonable end. So people can see us, um, walking out these ideas in our conversation logically and with love, you know, that's my goal. And I don't want them to have to, I don't want to have to, you know, mute them because they can't control themselves from, from interrupting me every five seconds or from just going into full on, you know, accusing me of being the devil or whatever, or, or practicing a false religion. You know, I don't want to have to discipline them in some weird way publicly because it just gets super awkward, man. It's just like, right. don't put me in that position. Be, be a man, you know, just mature, but I can't, but and not everyone's like that. Right. So, and, and we're, we're testing what they think they know, which is, which is the craziest part because they don't like to be challenged in what they think they know. They've been put in a position with their little, their realm of association or denomination or church setting where the, they're hardly ever tested on what they think they know. If you, you know, I don't know, did you say you were in a church involved with the eldership of a church and was it like a physical location or was it like an online ministry? No, yeah, it was a physical location. I was, I was an elder in training is what they, okay. Uh, titled. So they had a building, they had a custodial staff, they had probably groundskeepers or unless one of the pastors or youth pastors, you know, mowed the lawn for them. Depends on how yeah. big the church is. They had, uh, you know, uh, light bills. They had, yeah, they had coordinated uh, events probably with the youth and, and with the potlucks and with the elders and, you know, or with the senior citizens and whatnot, different yeah. Sunday school schedules and things like that. All that requires coordination, business maintenance. Yeah. And the average pastor is so busy with business maintenance, people aren't coming to them with theological questions because they think, well, they're getting everything they need to know on, on our Sunday services when we give our anecdotal stories for 45 minutes and read a few scriptures. Correct. Right. That's and what I've seen all my life. Right. And that, like therein lies the problem. What you said earlier is that they're no longer guarding the word of God. They're ha they have to guard the career. And so. Yeah. And what instead of getting validation from heaven, they're getting it horizontally from their congregation whom they have said, you shall have peace, even though you walk according to the dictates of your own heart, even though you don't, I'm trying to teach you that you don't need to do the things that, you know, these heretics and these Torah Nazis are telling you, you should be doing. You don't have to do those things and you'll have peace. Don't worry about it. They like hearing that. And so when you have somebody who comes in, the congregation also will stand behind that pastor because that pastor is, is, is telling them that they don't have to do the things that their flesh doesn't want to do. So it's easy to just continue to be like, yes, please keep telling me the things that I, I want to hear. And that's unfortunately the, the, the cycle back and forth. You have the, the man protecting his career and you have the, the people under him protecting his career as well because he's protecting their, the, the thoughts of their heart and, and their flesh. And so it's yeah, but yeah, that this is this is exactly the problem that we're trying to address, right? Is we want people to understand yeah. that the word of God is the what we should be de defending, no matter if we lose everything or not. And sometimes it's not going to be like that to where 
we think we're going to lose everything because we, we take this certain route. No, it could just be the biggest blessing in your right. life ever. Your, your, your church could right. grow. It, it could grow from, you know, a hundred to, to 20 people. <laughs> well, no, because they're actually getting fed at that point, right? They're getting discipleship right. from the actual word of God and not from anecdotal stories and let, you know, some cute story about your kid going to the dentist or whatever. So like, right. you know, they're getting truly the meat and the wisdom portrayed through the logo of, of God's word. And that's, that's, you know, it speaks to our soul, right? So it's, it divides, uh, it divides right down to our soul. It's, it's something that we need is the words of God. Right. And unfortunately some pastors find themselves in a position thinking that their messages behind the pulpit are the actual words of God, regardless of how much scripture they actually read. You know what I mean? So now again, for any of those out there watching, if you're a pastor, we're not, well, I don't want to, like we say so often on our channel. So if this is your first time watching us, we've done lots of other videos and I've said this emphatically for years. We appreciate you. We respect the sacrifice you've made in your life to be in the position you're in. You could have went and done any other type of industry or business and probably made 10 times the money for your family. So we respect the sacrifice you've made and the time you've put in where you are today. We're just heartbroken that so much man-made tradition has creeped into our modern church over the years that you find yourselves in a very contradictory position trying to express God's word. And like, like you show in, in some of the videos you've already done, Andrew, is that when you try to point out the contradictions, that's when, you know, they can show their fruit or they can show their backside. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that's where it gets awkward. And you pray for the, you pray that they show the fruit of the spirit and be patient and be like, Oh, I have to consider that. I haven't seen that before. Or I disagree with you, but you know, I'll think on it. Well, we, you know, we can, we can stay even kill and stay in a good nature. And I just disagree with you at this time. And, um, but unfortunately, I don't always go that way. So I just, I do want to encourage you that, um, as you continue to pursue this, um, you know, don't be deterred because they will, they will knee jerk, right? Um, harder than what I've seen so far in your channel. Um, they will knee jerk. Um, some of them are going to require you to submit your questions to them in email before they agree to come onto your show. And then after you spend time, with multiple emails interacting back and forth with them, trying to build a friendship and make them feel comfortable to talk about your disagreements together on air, they're still going to decide, no, I'm not coming on. I'll call you a heretic. So it's, it, it becomes, you know, a patience building thing to where you keep, you know, it, it's going to become a discipline uh, to keep a soft heart, but yet have thick skin. Yeah. So I always try to jokingly say this, the thicker your skin, the softer your heart can be. Yeah, I found that to be the case. Yeah, yeah. especially through experience. And speaking of, yeah, speaking of your experience in building that thick skin, you went out and you uh, you tried to, to talk to some people in your town that were having a, a pro-abortion rally. Is that right? That's right, yep. Yeah, so we're going to play a quick clip for the audience real quick from that, and uh, we can talk about it real quick. All right. Hopefully it's going to play the sound. Please let me know in the audience. Uh, put a one in the chat if you can hear the sound from this.
Okay. So people are saying they can't they can't hear it. One second. I guess while you're doing that, I can give some context to what where this was at and what they were doing. This was at my own hometown, and this was before the proposal three was going to be passed into legislation in our state. And so I was trying to, like many other people, trying to interrupt the thought process on, on ending a human life um, in, in my own hometown. So I could, it was really close, it looked like, on the ballots. So I was trying to make sure it, it didn't go that way. Okay. Um, did you by chance upload this to your YouTube? It's just on Facebook. I didn't. I did not. Okay. Man. Um, I don't know why the system is not allowing me to share the sound for this Facebook video. Um, man, one second. Let me see if I can work this out. All right, let's try this then. Do you think if someone's poor, they should be able to kill their children? I think when someone's poor, it's incredibly complicated. I don't think it's very complicated, ma'am. I believe it's a human life. There's a secondary issue here, and that's the life inside the woman. That's not part of the discussion? The woman is welcome to get out of her body and go figure that just like you can forcefully remove someone from your home, you can forcefully remove someone from your body. Just like I can't force you to donate a kidney to a dying kid, you can't force me to move my organs aside and birth a human. If you put any restrictions on it, you do start litigating the instances of it. If you okay. want to have instances of life starting at conception, that's completely fine because we have many uh, instances of where we don't consider every uh, instance of any inconvenience, death, risk of harm to be a justification to force someone to get out of the economy. If that is the position that you're taking, like, live your best life, but then you would also want to support instances of mandatory organ donation. Put everyone on the kidney list. No, I wouldn't force anybody to do something with their body. Yeah, but, 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 but. Well, no, we're talking about a secondary issue, which is the baby inside of your womb. Then that's not your body. That is an instance of, in your, if you're viewing them as two separate lives, yeah. the person caring, do you view them as two separate lives? I don't give a You don't. Here's a problem. Fags like you are looking to impress people. Have you looked at Mr. Johnson in Michigan? Because I have. Because I'm pro-choice. Because I should choose. Yeah. There are 450,000 kids in the foster care system. Do you know who the kids are in Michigan that are yeah. foster care? They are severely mentally handicapped, mentally retarded. You know who wants them? Nobody. Because they're not white infants. They are not white Aryan race infants and nobody wants them. Do you believe that they should be killed? I don't believe they should be killed. Why not? Because they're already living. Okay. But once well, so is a life living, inside the when world, I got though, pregnant, I was able to make the choice. If my son was going to come out with severely mentally retarded or handicapped, I am not able to take care of that life the way that he deserves. I'm not sure why you're putting it into those terms. A human life? Okay, so one second here. Um, yeah, sorry for the audio. We're trying to get that worked out. Um, yeah, it's really sad to hear some of those answers. Um, 
as as a whole, I don't want this discussion to drill into a, a, an abortion debate, but or or topic on it. Obviously, you know, um, we agree with your sentiment that it is a secondary human life inside the womb from conception, and that none of it should be uh, no one's body, especially the unborn baby's body, should not be forced upon. <laughs> mm. I went, yeah, it's just it's so sad that uh, this mindset has taken over, but. There's a whole bunch of other societal factors that have pushed into that, but um, but kudos to you for going out there and trying to talk to them and get them to, you know, reconsider what they're thinking and why they're so adamant to promote it so that other people think it's acceptable. Like they're evangelizing, like they're it's too. We would just watch a video of two street preachers, you with the gospel of truth, and them preaching a gospel of death, a good news to women to be selfish and if consequences come, you can kill it and continue to be selfish. And take no responsibility for that natural action, which is commonly observed. This is what's hap- This is what happens if you know if you engage in the activity and a baby's produced. That's that's the natural order of all things. This is what this is what you are to expect. But instead of them being called to account, society and certain factors have told them you can just ignore it and kill it. Right, which, which is, is absolute. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, interestingly enough, with both of our gospel presentations, freedom was promoted. And so just like in the, in the churches today, you have freedom, but freedom from what, you know, we, we, right. we in the Torah community, I, I, I don't even know what to call it, but us who understand that the, the instructions of the father are still applicable to our lives today, that is freedom to us is that we're free from the sin and the condemnation of it. But apparently you're free from having to obey the commandments in, in some people's gospel presentation. And yeah, so, it's weird. And the word freedom gets abused. That gets taken out of context and out of definition to where suddenly your freedom is to not do the behavior Jesus did. It's weird. It's a, it's an absolute double speak um, that I just it baffled me how it took me so long to, to see it. Because once you see it, you can't unsee it, To in my opinion. Like you're, you're literally like, okay, like, like we jested at the beginning of the discussion. So what you're trying to say, I'm free from, and they categorize everything in this weird categorization, right? They say the law of Moses. Even if even if they verbally agree with you that it well Moses didn't make anything up he got it from God, but they keep going back to saying it's just the law of Moses and you're free from that, right? And then you say it, some of them will actually go the extra step to to further categorize it and they'll say well you've got you know the ceremonial and the moral and the, and then you're like okay well so you're now you're claiming there are segmented areas to this, which assumes a sense of context, right. but they don't take it they don't take it to its completion or they don't fulfill the thought to its completion. And they still assume a predisposition of certain things are suddenly no longer moral, but now they're just ceremonial. And so those we've been freed from because those apparently were a huge burden. I'm like, so it was a huge burden that I get to take a day off of work once, once a week. Like, how is that? How is that a huge burden? Like, don't you want a day off from your job? Don't you get mad when they call you to come into work on your day off? Like, (laughs) it's just crazy, you know, and even in nature, you see, um, what is it? The famous, the famous example of the beaver that doesn't, that stops building dams on the seventh day on the Sabbath, um, just naturally, you know, and it's just kind of built. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's the beaver guys put in the live chat. If I'm got it wrong, maybe it's an otter, but I'm pretty sure it's a beaver that they naturally stop building dams on the Sabbath. That's interesting. One day out of the week. Yeah. And so, um, but it's just in all of life, you know, regardless of the semantics, if you say, Hey, you know, I just, how is it a burden that, um, you know, that Yahweh said, Hey, come to my house and I'm going to have my chefs make a meal for you. and We can have a fellowship meal together. 
Like, don't you want to be close to the God of heaven and earth, the creator right. of all things? Like he gave you a process by which you can accomplish that. But yet you're demonizing that process and everything he described about it to say somehow it's bad and that it's uh and that you had to be freed from that. Like right. it, it, it doesn't make any sense. It really doesn't. No, it doesn't. It doesn't. And the enemy has again flipped the narrative completely. And like like what I've what I've identified in the streets when I'm when I'm talking to people like this is that I'm I'm hearing the same arguments from the church is that well actually because what they're doing is they're denying the, the commandment of the Lord, right? Not to murder. And they're denying the design of God as well. And so they believe that that is restrictive to what they want to do, which is, which equates to freedom. And so that's exactly what, what the, the churches do is that they decide what is restrictive to their lives, right? Because they don't want to adjust to the commandments of the Lord. And so that equates to freedom. If I don't do those things, right? This, it's how it's how the devil keeps gaining ground all throughout history as he just deems something as restrictive you know that's it's just it's how guys one of my favorite meals used to be a glass of sweet tea some some horseradish sauce and some some peel and eat shrimp oh my goodness like i would sit down watch some football peel and eat shrimp some sweet tea like oh my goodness man i was in heaven and when i realized the truth i had to stop eating that right and so then i was like okay I'm going to stop eating that. And then, yes, there was a discipline that was required Whereas I, I realized, okay, I'm going to have to have some self-discipline to stop eating that. So that in that sense, you're right, Andrew, that was restrictive of me. I felt the restriction of I cannot, even though I enjoyed eating that, I cannot now. And because I, because I, in my faith and belief in my, my, my God and his son, my Messiah, I, I trust when he says that's bad for me, he didn't make that for me to eat and consume as I, as I walk on this earth, then, okay, I have to trust him in the same way. I trust him that he's going to resurrect me after I die. And that's something I, I get delayed gratification, fulfillment of that trust extended to him. Like right. in the here and now I can go and see all the parasites inside of pork and know that it's bad for me to eat in the here. And now I can see immediately the cancer rates that are directly attributed to pork products. And so I can realize, Oh, this is bad for humans. This is, he didn't make this as food for us. So, but, bigger things of the faith like my resurrection eternal life and where i spend it with him and his son i have to trust that that part of the story is also going to be fulfilled because it's not here yet you know and that's um to me it's like how are these all not moral consequences it's literally the shape of my discipleship it's the, the outflow the functioning of my discipleship how is that not moral when, when the father says that his instructions are for our good, that's a right. moral reference. You know what I mean? So it's funny how the, the um, attempt at uh, recategorizing some of these things to lessen their importance or to somehow equate them to a burden that you're now freed from, um, it all ignores the idea of actually what is moral according to the, to the, to the scriptures. As far as Yahweh saying, I'm holy, be holy as I'm holy. Right. right. So like, Paul preaches that in first Corinthians 16, like in first Corinthians chapter one, even like he's talking about, you know, you're supposed to be set apart and holy as Yahweh is. Right. Well, what does that mean? That's the definition, right? So it, I guess, um, man, it, I could talk about it forever, honestly, because it, it's really just, it's, there's so, it's so blatant in the scriptures, how much the new Testament aligns with the old Testament, but you have to know the old Testament first, right? Yeah, you actually have to know what is good and holy and righteous commandment so that when it's being spoken of in the New Testament, like you try to point out in that clip we showed, 
you're just saying, brother, this is from Deuteronomy and Leviticus and Exodus. Like this is this is not new stuff. Paul's not making up some wildly new definition of right behavior. Correct. You know. Correct. I mean, Paul even says that we're to abstain from even the appearance of evil. And how do I know what the standard of evil is? And I know in Isaiah chapter five, verse twenty, he says, Woe unto those who call evil good and good evil. And so I better get it right. And and I've heard so many people tell me, Andrew, it's not as black and white as you think it is. Well, according to the Lord through Isaiah, he tells you to make sure you understand it's black and white. And if Paul tells me I'm to avoid evil like the plague, I better be finding out what evil is. And if you go in, you know, one of the things that they put into the basket of, into the category of ceremonial law is the Sabbath. Because when we talk about, and understand that I used to preach these things, so I kind of understand what, where they're coming from. And uh, I'm sure you do as, as well, Sean. But when they what they put in the basket of ceremonial is that it has some it had some sort of um image to now where where jesus is the substance right and that kind of just gets put away gracefully into this basket of ceremonial law but the sabbath as you know obviously has a future um symbolic meaning to it as well of the gospel of the kingdom of god but if you look at throughout the scriptures go and look i challenge anybody to go and look in the scriptures and see which sins exactly deserve in God's eyes the death sentence and tell me if the Sabbath is not a moral issue it is a moral issue and, and in fact Nehemiah and, and this is interesting to me because you look back and you, you look at all these preachers who tell you actually um, that if you go back to the Sabbath that's the work of the Antichrist you know where do they get that from where do they get this the ceremonial idea from well Thomas Aquinas right in the 13th century I believe it was uh, and then in the, I think it was the 14th, 15th century where Pope, um, uh, what's his name? Calvin calls him the last great Pope. What's his name? Gre- Gre- pope Gregory. He says that it has come to my ears that certain men of a perverse spirit have sown among you something that is contrary to the holy faith, teaching that you should observe the Sabbath, the seventh day Sabbath. I'm paraphrasing, but he says, what else can I say that these are preachers of antichrist? And so well, now he's changed, you know, where does it say, where do we get the uh, the demonstration that the Antichrist moves in this way in the scriptures? Nowhere. In fact, I see Nehemiah going back to his people and saying, what evil thing is this that you have done on this day, on the Sabbath day, to profane it? That is an evil thing to profane the Sabbath day. So it's something to look into, right? At least be yeah, challenged. You're describing by. evil, which is not ceremonial. That's moral. Correct. It's not, it's a completely yeah. a moral issue. Yeah. And yes, a lot of that language, like you're like you're um, explaining uh, from historical time periods and quotes, that a lot of that language is absolutely carryover from Catholic philosophers and uh, and leadership, whom not only did they not only over time did they um, try to decide they had the power to change God's law and and verbally stated that at times, but they also, to me, more dastardly but less publicized. They claim to be the priesthood. Right. Yeah, they claim to be Again, the representatives of God on earth. It's crazy. Like, you're not, like, that, that is so far away from the biblical context as far as whom the priesthood on earth is supposed to be the Levites, and that's it. You right. know, and then Yeshua is in heaven. And th- so this, this whole concept is like completely them forcing themselves into a position of leadership and theological control. 
And then no wonder they burn people at the stake. No wonder they excommunicated people that disagree with them. No wonder we're seeing the same fruit of those things and the same language and the same philosophy used even in the Protestant movement amongst modern day churches, because that's their history of where they brought this stuff, whether they're ignorant of it or not. That's, that's what they've been trained up in is that mindset, those bad conclusions, those bad disciplinary tactics and, and those bad, you know, um, game plans as far as discipleship, because when the disciples start questioning, wait, wait, this doesn't match the words in the book, instead of them taking a moment to shepherd the sheep rightly and exegete the word, they're just more like a scared boxer in the corner that just starts swinging uppercuts trying to get out of a bad spot, you know, and not not caring who that they destroy in the meantime. And it's and it's um, it is a a current battle that. Um, is not for people that uh, that have light, you know, uh, thin skin. If I should put it like that again, you know, because it really is. Good. It really takes just having the fortitude to say, "I'm confident that I have basic fourth grade reading level comprehension, and then I know what these words say, and that I and if there's a particularly tricky part of any passage that." I don't know what it is that I can look up the meanings of those words and I can check out the entire chapter for context or maybe the chapter before or after it or whatnot. Or, oh, if that's one of Paul's letters, well, Paul wrote a whole bunch of letters, right? So thankfully I have that resource and I can go to one of his other letters and see how he's talking about the same topic to get a little bit more well-rounded context there as well, right? And so that to me is a superpower that that religious leaders who are scared of losing their position, they're not ready to handle. So if you continue on your path, Godspeed. Yeah. May, may Yeshua bless you and keep you. Um, because my wife has seen how much it's, um, how much it takes on our end when, when, you know, how disappointed I am when certain uh, interactions turn a certain way or behind the scenes when things fall apart, because, you know, people just can't, they just, they're just not mature yet in that way, you know? And, uh, I'm not saying I'm perfect, but my goodness, like, I, I feel like I'm competent enough to have a disagreement with someone and still consider them my brother and walk in love and want to do anything I can to help them. You know what I mean? But when that, when your, um, when your Christ-like behavior goes out the window because someone disagrees with you, I don't think that you should be teaching at that point. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. it's, you've, you've it's essentially uh, demonstrated your lack of responsibility to be seasoned in the word and mature, able to lead and guide others gently. Like, like uh, Paul tries to, to talk about in first Timothy and Titus as an elder, you know, over any type of flock or any type of congregation, right? You're, you're not fit for that. <laughs> Um, so it's, it's a very interesting concept of having to address those men in, in a way that you, you don't want to run them off. You know what I mean? Like I've already had some people that um, decided they didn't want to come onto my channel because someone else reached out to them and said, hey, you shouldn't go on this channel. He's far outside of regular belief. Yeah, that doesn't surprise you know me saying? at all. And so, you know, I'm already like, and it, that person wouldn't tell me who, who said that to them, you know, and they just declined. And I'm just like, dude, this is cowardice. Like, this is not cool behavior. You know what right. I mean? Like, if, I, if so I introduced myself. Exactly. Take your time to, to yeah. course correct me. You know? Yeah. Right. I, I, if I need your help, if you if you know better from the word, show it to me. 
don't don't label me some heretic and ignore me right. if that's the case you know what i mean so like yeah it's a really really duplicitous mindset that um that i'm still asking the father to give me a soft heart towards because um i do not want to turn into to that behavior because of their behavior right right so this is that great struggle you know about um like you said at the beginning you you have a sympathy for people that because you know that they're not trying to be malicious intentionally but it's just kind of the natural knee jerk that's coming up from the fruit of bad doctrine right and so it's um and i know guys it might seem like we're attacking the same concept from several different ways tonight but i i'm to me this is an important concept for the audience to know what you've seen on this channel and i'd, I'd recommend going checking out um my brother andrew's work on his channel because you're going to see similar stuff as far as him being able to talk to certain pastors and the, and he takes a different route with how he exegetes scripture but i think he still does it very soundly and it's great to see and he puts it on screen and everybody can watch and but at the same time um i i think it's important for the audience to see that um if these things these things are rare is what i'm getting at anyone can put up a christian commentary on a news event or a current event or do another review of Romans or do another review of like, I'm doing a, a review of Matthew right now. Anyone can do that. Not anyone can sit there and tell someone that's supposedly a spiritual leader. Hey man, I, I hear what you've been saying on this issue, but I, I really don't see that in the scripture. Can you help me understand this? And in fact, not only do I not see what you're saying, I've studied the issue and I see the word saying something else. What do you think about that? That it's not just courage, but it, it takes a sense of fortitude to not be deterred or intimidated. And so props to you, Andrew, for, for maintaining that fruit of the spirit, which I think boldness and courageousness is a fruit of the spirit. Um, it's encouraged of us as we do the commandments of God, not turning to the right or the left, that we would be bold and courageous and, uh, in all, and doing all that. So, um, it's a rare thing to see and I'm glad other people are trying it. <laughs> I'm glad you're out there trying it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because, well, uh, go ahead. Sorry. I was just going to say that you, you encourage people with the way that you've demonstrated yourself, uh, to be able to handle yourself as well. So I, I appreciate you and all, all your work that you've done. I'm trying, that's what I'm tr That's what my goal is to, to, to meet the amount of work that, that you put in to it. So. Oh, brother. Yeah. I appreciate that. So, um, what's, uh, so you've done a couple videos where you interview pastors and talk about your differences and, and some of these, these key topics of our modern faith. And you've, you've gone out and done some street evangelism. And then you've also done some videos on like, quote unquote, church fathers and early church history. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. That was really where I started. Um, was doing, was wanting to just lay the groundwork for where I was coming from with the Sabbath and the dietary instructions and, and you know, where, where we get these perspectives when we go to the scriptures from. And they, they have a huge impact on us, right? Yeah. Just looking at Tertullian's writings, he said that, you know, and Tertullian was obviously after uh, Marcion, but he looked back and, and seen Marcion's work and he, he looked at the Christian faith and he said that the whole mass of the faith has been embittered by Marcion's ideas. So even to that, even, you know, 50 years later, those, those ideas were still circulating. And he didn't just say it's just one, one fringe minority. He said it's, it's, it's reached everybody. Everybody has some sort of uh, you know, idea that they've inherited and it's been sown in their faith that Marcion has sown. And so that's where I wanted to start was lay the groundwork and the context from where we get these things and just kind of tackle it from there. And then, you know, show that it's been, this has been a, 
a topic throughout history, right? This isn't just something new. Uh, there's a lot of people. It, I, when I when I came in contact with the Sabbath, it wasn't the first time, but it was the first time I was actually I had to deal with it. And you know, one of the things that I had the first time I had dealt with the Sabbath was going through uh, Ray Comfort's uh, work actually, and his work helped me so much to come to Torah. It's amazing because he he really held up the the, the law and said that this is completely necessary for evangelism and for our, our lives, right? And but he fell short in a lot of a lot of ways. I'm very familiar with his work, and I'm planning at some point also you know, again, not to show like, hey, don't listen to anything these people ever say, but to just show the gaps in the wall and stand in those gaps and be like, listen, this is where you have to take the Bible for what it is and test these teachers and what, everything they say, because of the, although you can take and learn so much from these people, there are points in here that are, that can be devastating for your faith. And it's just interesting that as I was going through this, it's, it's a book called The School of Biblical Evangelism. And this was years ago that I was going through it, but Every single t of the of the Ten Commandments uh, that he lists, he's giving a way that you can appeal to the the listener as to how you can uh, make that relate to them and how they've broken it, right? And try to lead it back to the gospel. Very good and stuff. Very good stuff. But the the page about the Sabbath, it's just a whole page on how his defense from from having to keep the Sabbath. So I was like, wait a second, like. All these commandments, he's trying to help you show how you bring it to the to the listener and show them how it brings them to Christ. But this is the only one where he's actually giving this whole page of why you don't have to do it and, and actually arguing against Sabbath, key, Sabbath, key, Sabbath keepers. And so it's it was just very interesting in my mind to see all that. But there's just so much of that throughout history. It's incredible. And so I just want to identify those points and be like, listen, and, and and this is another thing that's frustrated me. If you want to talk about experiences, and you've experienced this as well, is like in the Torah movement. I'm I'm realizing because I'm still very new to this. I'm coming into this two two and a half years. I've only been in this. So what I've realized is that a lot of Torah observant people they they just like completely look at Christianity as something like they all need to repent of everything they've ever learned and come out of that completely and just not have anything not i guess they don't say not have anything to do with them but you know what i mean just repent of everything of christianity well, and and i've heard oh. i've heard some things some people walk that line where they think really? that christians are not of the faith and it's just it breaks my heart because i'm like you know by that very statement i've met more christians that are showing more fruit of love mercy and justice than you're exemplifying right now with your unrighteous condemnation of them exactly and so that's yeah. where i'm like listen like like you have said i've heard you say is that we're trying to show them a more accurate way like we have been shown and just as we're adding to our faith you know these people have genuinely met christ i, I believe yeah. you know i've I genuinely met christ and i and he changed my life before i came to torah and it was just this is something he wanted to take me deeper into relationship with him some people that's a cutoff line for them it might take them longer to get to that point but sometimes it's just a cutoff line where they're like you know when when jesus turned around where there was multitudes following him he turned around and said unless you you know are not willing to to love me more than your mother brother sister father even your own life you can't be my disciple and people i think they started just not following him at that point right so that was a cutoff point for them they were okay with everything until that point but you know the sabbath and, and the feast days and understanding the priesthood and the torah sometimes that's a cutoff point for them where they're they're like you know what i don't want to go that far or maybe throughout 
the rest of maybe it takes a little bit longer but it takes yeah I, i've seen out plant, right exactly and that's really what i want to do and that's what you want to do but yeah i i'm not okay with just like detaching from all that like i can't call myself a christian i can't speak the english language i can't say jesus like I, I was just told on on my Facebook page like earlier that I'm just like I I can see your heart, Andrew. I've been following you for a little bit, and I appreciate what you what you do. But you're deceived. You're saying Jesus, and I'm like, like what? Okay. So I'm I'm learning new things about this uh, movement, but I forgot where I was going with that. But that was that was an interesting thing for me to to see. Yeah, I think you were just trying to express. Um, the idea of even within people that have woken up to the idea of the full applicability of the scriptures, i.e. the law of God is still relevant for discipleship. They then sometimes poorly judge fellow Christians that are still left in the church, right? That right. are still left. And and we're not saying leave the church because you may get blessed there for a season and you may have a wonderful impact on the people around you and even the leadership there. You never know. Right. But, I mean, I would say like if you have relationships there and you've suddenly woken up that, oh, God's law applies and that's how we actually disciple, then you'll be in a great impact on those relationships there in that church. Stay until they kick you out. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Uh, that's Don't just don't remove yourself in so un unrighteous self-judgment uh, and judgment of them. Like, no, like if you want them to wake up too, you got to keep that relationship so they understand. You know, and they have they see you changing and you growing in your discipleship. They need to see that since they're not being taught that. And so don't just leave. Make them kick you out first. Right. <laughs> if it comes to that, it may not even come to that. Some some pastors we've heard it's it's far and few between. But some pastors we've heard of have, have uh, tried to address uh, members of their congregation that have come to a deeper understanding of discipleship according to the fullness of the Bible. And uh, they they don't kick them out. They just say, you know, please don't cause problems. You know what I mean? And right. so that, you know, it, there's there's a whole bunch of different stories and different scenarios. And so some can stick around and not cause problems. Others, the other members cause the problems, which unfortunately then turns on the actual good hearted person that's trying to, to do the law of God in, with genuine discipleship, them getting expelled from the congregation because the other people are so triggered, you know, and that's and unfortunately that's where it comes down to the, you know, the financial judgment of the leadership to say, well, we can't lose 90% of our, our crowd because of the 10%. So we'll get rid of the 10%. Right. And that's, it's sad, you know, um, but ultimately those can then turn into the cage stage tour terrorists where they're like, I'm right. The words are very clear and you guys are in sin and you guys need to repent and you're all, and, and then, then they throw this blanket condemnation over everyone that calls himself a Christian, which is very, very unfruitful. And right. it destroys, in my opinion, it completely destroys whatever, wonderful revelation of God's fullness of his law in your walk. It destroys that witness because now you're just a walking judgment against other good hearted Christians who have bad teachers. Right. And so, yeah, we, we try to hold that line here and encourage them all. Look, so or so is the word. The so or so is the word. That's all. Look, if you've come to a wonderful understanding, if God has increased your knowledge of his word and you know what discipleship is inside and out and you know the words, awesome. There's people around you that still need to wake up sow the word with them and let the Holy Spirit water it and bring it. Because remember, the Father says that he's someone that reaps where he did not sow. So go sow and let him do the reaping. It's easy. <laughs> Amen. It sounds easy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's So, true. Andrew, is there a question you have for me tonight? Hmm. I guess I 
I should have wrote something down if I if I would have known you were going to ask me that question because yeah, I've, I, there's been times where I'm like, man, I wish Sean was right in front of me. I would ask him this, but no, nothing really. Uh, well, no, uh, maybe not even uh, something on that vein, but maybe just something you've heard in a video I've done because you said uh, you just started watching our channel what a couple years ago, maybe. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Yeah. It's been about a year and a half, I think, or maybe okay. maybe maybe two. We've had some lively discussions and videos in that last year and a half. So, is there anything that you've seen from me? that you may have thought, well, I wonder why he's saying that, or I wonder why he's on that sticking point and why, you know, is there anything come to mind? Hmm. You know, this is going to be, we're going to have to have another discussion because when I, when I get into this, we're, you know, I would love to hear your explanation, but I, I've heard your explanation and I, I think it's so logical and it makes so much sense, but it's especially concerning what we just talked about, about the Christian faith and, and things that they understand are aspects of the faith, specifically the atonement. Okay. And I love the way you explain the Levitical priesthood and, and its purpose and how it's still legitimate. And, and Yeshua never called it illegitimate. Uh, in fact, it would be very awkward if he did cons considering Jeremiah 33, I think verse 14 through 18, right? How he says, they and Isaiah 66, a, 21 right. through 23. Yeah. Right, that would make that very awkward. But I'm super interested because of my evangelism and how I present the gospel. And I'm super interested to have another conversation or even off, off, you know, this, but... It's okay, brother. You can, you can ask me now. I'm not... I'm well, not that's fine. I just don't know if I would have much to offer is what I'm saying in this. I would, I would just want to have an explanation for a lot of things because I want to know how to properly present the gospel according to the atonement process in the Torah. And you make so much sense in this, in the penal substitutionary atonement, right? And how that's actually, that doesn't seem to be the scriptural way that the father makes atonement. So I'm, I'm, I would just love, I'm trying to, I've listened to so much of your videos on that. So I'm, I would want to know a lot more about that for sure. Okay. Is it just the general concept of um, that Isaiah 53 seems to give lots of good language to the general underpinnings of the PSA doctrine? Yeah, I think a lot uh, of people, and, and like you said... yet we run into the contradiction of the law itself not accepting humans for sacrifices. Correct. Yeah, and that's where, yeah. that's where you got my ear, is because I have to go back to the Torah and see, okay, this is... This is his. This is the Father's ways, and so if yeah. this isn't His way to make atonement, then I want to make sure that I'm, I'm presenting the the, the gospel yeah. accurately. And so, you know, but I think it's just I think it's the conclusion. Well, how do you think that that Yeshua makes atonement for you? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, you've made me question that, right? Like, how how does that process work? Because, um, well, how do you think he how do you think he does it? I'm not trying to put you on the spot, but it, I mean, so you don't have to answer, but, but yeah, how do you currently at your current mindset, how do you think he makes atonement for you? Well, that, that he is my high priest, right. And he, he, okay. uh, offers atonement by, so this is, so I would, before I listen to you, this is how I would explain it. Okay. And now sure. as, as I'm explaining it, I know I can already hear your, your rebuttals to all these things. So this is how I would explain it is that he's actually in, in, in a, the office of a priest the high priest, right, of Israel, and he makes atonement by his own blood. And he, okay. when he went ascended to heaven, he sprinkled his own blood on the altar, right, before the Lord. And uh, on my behalf, he made atonement for my sins by his own blood on that sacrifice on the cross. Now, when you, I can already hear 
what your response would be, right? Well, when did he do that, right? When did he take his blood? You, can you bring blood to heaven? You're not supposed to bring blood to heaven. That That's abominable to him in the Torah. And um, But th- there's there's just so many things I need to reconcile with all these things before I go back out there and, and uh, present the gospel presentation concerning penal substitutionary atonement. So you got, you got my ear on all that is all I'm saying. The, I think okay. the disconnect for well, me and not the disconnect, but the, the, the challenge for me and the challenge for you is to ultimately come to the understanding for the Christians to understand that, that Yeshua makes atonement by heavenly animals. I think that's where people are like, hang on. That is where I think you're denying Christ. And I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that's where their mind yeah. goes because I understand where, yeah. the, where the mind's going. As, and I, I would always since I try to keep it logical and consistent with the word, I say if, if the tabernacle on the ground and the priesthood on the ground was patterned after what happens in heaven, as Hebrews 8 and Exodus 25 through 27 tells us, then where does it say anywhere in that pattern that atonement is made through the death of a priest? Right. Or the death of a Messiah or a prophet? Right. That's not the pattern given in the law, right? It's the priest going through the process of making a meal before Yahweh is what so maybe it's just in the terminology so I just described it as a priest making a meal to the father and that creates the happiness of the father to cover over the sin versus the death of an animal right but in the same way I guess and this is just me just trying to reconcile it in the same way if we're having this meal and he's slaughtering an animal in the heavenly realm how am I partaking of that meal that's, you don't partake of the meal that happens on the ground. If, if you were in ancient Israel back in the day, you didn't partake of the ascent offering, the, the burnt offering to Yahweh. You didn't partake of every single offering you brought forward. You'd partake of the first fruits or of the, the tithe. Um, I think also of the peace offering and, um, and the guilt. No, the priest did the guilt offering and the sin offerings. So you didn't partake of every single offering anyway. Okay. So... As far as what the scriptures give us in categories, Leviticus 1 through 7, there's multiple types of offerings. Not all of them are for sin and atonement. And then, but if we have sinned and we need atonement, there's context then, right? Is it a sin of omission, Leviticus 4? Is it a a sin because of of theft and different things like a guilt offering? Um, Is it uh, also considered a sin offering, you know, Leviticus 7? So there's different different context to the type of offering you would bring. Um, Is it simply a vow offering? A view of earnest, sincere dedication to grow closer to Yahweh, to which also required an animal to be brought to the to the uh, to the temple, of which you did not partake in eating that animal once it's prepared. Um, so there's all types of different offerings in different contexts, and all of them require the process of a temple that's ordained by the Father and a priesthood that's ordained by the Father to prepare those offerings that are brought. Which I think the word sacrifice, just like all these other terms that we've seen modern Christian tradition demonize right like the law of moses right yeah in the same way they've demonized the idea of a sacrifice whereas the scriptures call it holy gifts that's okay. not that's not a bad term right holy gifts right so like think about um like in ancient days like if i wanted to bless you in your household i'd come bring you one of my lambs you'd you would love it eat for two weeks eating really good for two weeks you and your whole family you know, so it's like, oh, okay. So I, I brought you a lamb, and uh, and I blessed you with it. It has monetary value, but it also, it took me a lot of effort to raise it, care for it, make sure it's good. 
I brought it to you and gave it to you and you can eat of it and be blessed by it. That increases our relationship. You know, it's really that simple. And that's the process that the father said, you know, hey, I want a sweet smelling aroma. How do we get to that end point where he says, mm, I like the sweet smelling aroma. What's this other, all these other details before that end point, which is this ordained house with the instructions on how these ordained priests prepare a meal for him that he, that he actually approves of and likes. And that's the craziest part of all this. Just like people will demonize the law of God and call it a burden because of Christian traditional language from years of bad human tradition in the same way they've demonized the priesthood and the temple and the whole process by which Yahweh said it's good and holy and, and he's happy when this process is done. And that simple process is what actually creates atonement, which is a covering over of the sin. It's not the removal of sin. That's a different concept that happens at the resurrection. We you get your new heart without sin, but the covering over until the resurrection is the atonement that the priesthood provides for you. So this is why Yeshua has such a, a unique position being our high priest who not only is in a position to make atonement for us while we're still in, in this life and sinning and needing repentance, but then he also has been given the authority to raise us from the dead on the day of the Lord, to give us that new heart that will never have sin in it so that our sins are forever removed from us. And then we have this pure, incorruptible heart that can stand before the Father and never need atonement again. So that's a beautiful promise of the covenant. So for the for the Messiah to actually go through that process that the Father said, here's the process for atonement, and if you do all this, my son whom I'm going to send as the ultimate high priest, I'll give him the authority to give you the ultimate fulfillment of that covenant, which is to raise you to eternal life. So in the meantime, it's a peace offering. So this is the, you know, um, the enmity between the flesh and, and the Father. Right, that is that entity is removed at the resurrection, and it's this moment where, I mean, you wouldn't call it an atonement offering or a sin offering or a peace offering if you're not um, smoothing out a relationship that had been messed up. Right. So this is this this is this unique concept of the Father saying, "Look, on a big scale, on a macro scale, created mankind on the earth. They started doing things that messed up the relationship with Him, and He's like, well, I'm going to give you. I know in church we're raised to say." Only Yeshua can write that relationship. And ultimately, yes, because he's the only one ordained to raise us from the dead with an incorruptible body, incorruptible heart that will never sin again so we can have eternal peace with God. It's the covenant of peace mentioned in Ezekiel 36 that we are getting our hearts sprinkled with his spirit so that we obey his statutes and commands without fail. It's this wonderful moment. Um, even in the book of 1st Enoch, chapter 5, 6 through 9 talks about it, that we'll never sin again once we're raised with a goodly light. It's beautiful. Right. And so this this ultimate moment is only that honor, that glory was only given to Yeshua to be able to do for us. But all this other process in the mortal flesh of atonement through an ordained temple with an ordained priesthood, he gave to men on the earth to practice, show as an example. And angels in heaven do it as well in the temples in heaven. And now Yeshua, he resate, also does it in the temple in heaven above the angels and authority over all priesthoods and all of creation. As the ultimate high priest, he gets that wonderful honor and privilege. This is why it's uh, idiomatically referred to in the book of Acts and other places as him being exalted to the right hand of the Father. That would be the place of the priest who's next to the, the ultimate king. So this is where um, he's making atonement for us because he's over the priesthood that runs this process that makes atonement. 
and then he's given the ultimate authority to resurrect us to an incorruptible eternal body the john 3 16 fulfillment so that we can have fellowship with god and, and literally walk up to him in our new glorified bodies you know and we don't need that any intermediator in bef- uh, any angelic um intermediate between us anymore like we have an angelic body now through resurrection and we'll be able to actually walk to the father and actually see him so it's um it's a wonderful privilege for the son all the way back to the book of enoch to be prophesied to be the one that comes to actually has the authority to raise you to eternal life that's a wonderful privilege that no angel was ever given no authority was ever given to an angel like that only to the son and so to, it's it's fitting and right because of his you know what was prophesied of him to become our high priest and to go into that process where the father says this process makes atonement for you so i guess it's weeding through all of our tradition we heard growing up that his death on the cross made atonement for us and everything and everything else like forget everything else you thought you knew at that point he died on the right. cross boom you're done well if that's the case he didn't have to be resurrected and given a glorified body and ascend to the heavenly tabernacle and be made a priest if, right. if, if just his death on the cross was the end of the story and you don't need anything else done for you and he had nothing else to do after that, then why would we even be resurrected and glorified? Like it, you know what I'm saying? This is where that type of um, out of context PSA doctrine has, has shortened the story and left out a ton of context about like what Yeshua is actually doing this whole time. <laughs> that was a, that was a really good any way sense? Of, yeah, no, that was, that's a really good way of, of, of putting it because once, once we start identifying again, this is what made me come to the realization that I need to keep the, the, the Sabbaths and the, the feasts, right? Is because there's been a lot of things that have just explained these things in a derogatory way. And a lot of people right. who have done that throughout, the, throughout history. And I'm like, yeah, but the Bible doesn't do it that way. And now I see in the same way, you have people de- demonizing the Levitical priesthood. And I'm like, okay, well, who did that? And so you look back in history, same things, right? Um, and you just don't see that kind of narrative in the Bible. You see verses taken out of context in Hebrews, of course. Hmm. But and so this and is also this you're is, gonna Luke go twenty two. You know, he says, "This is the blood of the new covenant, it's the blood of my covenant for you, the blood of the new covenant." And people think immediately, "Oh, well, he said since the moment he made that statement, we must be in the new covenant." Because this is he 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 held up a glass of wine and said this is blood, so wait does that does that I mean like how far do we take this if we right. don't think that this is an allegory, how far do we take this? Are you now saying he changed his wine into blood and he's about to drink blood and break Leviticus chapter seventeen? Is that what you're saying? Um, I hope not because then he would disqualify himself from the Messiah because he drank blood. He would be so how, with sin at that point. How would you explain that that? situation all the, the references of the blood is the reference to his purity and this is what you see even in the old testament right the the, the spotless blameless lamb had to be tamim in the hebrew means you know be pure in his blood he had to be tamim this is uh he had to be of a certain age and he had to be spotless and blameless without defect and that was acceptable sacrifice and it required the priest to be diligent in their obedience to find the right animal that qualified and bring it forward for that sacrifice. Same thing for the people that brought forward their vow offerings or their sin offerings or their tithes or whatnot, first fruits. Um, so, or even their, um, yeah, but anyway. So all these references in Hebrew where you see, well, oh, we're sprinkled like in First Peter, like, oh, it's the precious blood of the lamb that sprinkles us clean from sin. Yeah, these are all wonderful statements, assuming you know the process already given to you with dozens and dozens of prophets beforehand. 
the process of how atonement and resurrection comes. And, and that whole process is not just suddenly changed, right? Just like our discipleship process hasn't suddenly changed in the same way. The temple process hasn't changed. The priesthood process hasn't changed. The, the fulfillment of the covenant, which is the resurrection of the saints, that process hasn't changed. And so all these um, quick references to those ideas that these epistle letters have, um, that's where people get tripped up and they can only point to the New Testament for these through this wording, right, of saying like, you know, oh, it's the eternal blood of the covenant, Hebrews 13. Well, yeah, amen, hallelujah. His perfect blood was his perfect obedience. Hebrews tries to explain this to you in Hebrews chapter 5, 7 through 10. as through what he suffered. And this is he learned obedience through what he suffered. And this gave him the right to be made the high priest that was promised of him, the ultimate high priest in the Melchizedek order, right, that the Father wanted to give him. And so that's only happening through his perfect obedience, which is analogous to his spotless, blameless blood. So this is a common idiomatic phrase that was used of someone that was righteous. They had good blood versus bad blood because they were wicked. Right. And even if you went into, you know, I'm not trying to get uh, too scientific, but even if you went into science, the, the terminology still applies. If you're filling yourselves with, with unclean things and doing cannibalism and doing all the ways of, ba of Baal worship, your blood is tainted with all kinds of nonsense. If you're filling your hearts and, and this is something I thought was interesting that Rob Skiba did a study on back in like, I think 2015, he had his blood analyzed and cause he had some issues with it, with an injury or whatnot. And he had to get his blood cleansed and then his issue, his injury or his issue went away. I can't remember exactly what it was, his leg or something like that. So um, yes, your blood can even reflect your life's behavior. And so we have a perfect Messiah who was without sin. You know, the right heart, the right actions, he's considered spotless and blameless perfect blood and by the blood of his obedience that's used as a metaphor and allegory and all types of uses of that because that is a instant reference to the old testament process by which atonement was made with the, the animal who had the right blood he was tamim so this is something that um i think is taken wildly out of context just like so many other concepts we talked about tonight you know what i mean yeah but when yeah. you dig into the process versus the the uh language the catchphrases Right. That, oh, you know, Paul says it a lot like Romans three. There's other places like, oh, I'm saved by the blood of the lamb or, you know, by his blood, I'm made righteous and all that. And yeah, well, by his perfect obedience, which is represented by the reference to his blood, gives him the authority to be in the place where he can raise you to eternal righteousness in your resurrected body. That's what qualified him to have that authority that the father gave him. So obviously, as you can probably already see, a lot of this stuff easily the support for to take these things out of its context of the Old Testament process and put it in this this PSA descriptive concept also blends into a Trinitarian idea where yeah, no, you start notice, to realize you've noticed that probably I'm sure yeah yeah no I again that was the kind of stuff that uh, helped me to kind of question these things is like okay wh again where do we get these concepts from and does it actually follow the the prescribed way it is in Torah but you see that the enemy has just twisted our understanding of so many different concepts so my my thing is is, is I, I'm proving it that I am willing to stand for truth no matter where it takes me so I, I want to understand this, specifically this concept this topic a lot better so that I can either get with it or or be able to to stand against if it you, so 
Yeah, exactly. If you find out that I've overlooked something in some grave manner or way, come to me. It's okay. Sure. Sure. Yeah. And, and, and right now I can't find anything to, to go up against what you're saying other than what you've already addressed. Think, think and, about uh, it. And since we're talking about metaphors, think about it in other metaphors as well. How many other metaphors we see in reference to our discipleship that creates a, a quick reference to a discipleship in a, uh, in a metaphoric fashion, for example, like being called pillars in the house of God in Revelation 3, 10 through 12. You're not literally going to be a stone pillar, right? Uh, Yeshua calls us, he's the good shepherd and his sheep know his voice. I'm not literally a sheep. I'm a human, right? I'm a man. And also then at the Passover in Luke 20, Luke 22 and Matthew, excuse me, Matthew 26, um, they go to grab a lamb to prepare it for the Passover. Hopefully they can grab one of his disciples, <laughs> right? So it's like, do we do we acknowledge yes or no that the Bible has meta- metaphors, allegories, similes, prolepsis, like these types of literary devices that are used in their speech? Of course, like of course we'd have to acknowledge that. I mean, look at look at the Book of Job, look at Isaiah, look at Ezekiel. Like, you know, of course we would have to acknowledge that there's metaphorical application of a principle being described in other terms. So the principle of Yeshua's perfect obedience, which is something no one else has achieved and no one else will achieve which is to live your entire human life without sin. It's an incredible honor. That is quickly referenced as pure and spotless blood that creates salvation atonement for you. Because the people making those references, they know the rest of the Old Testament. <laughs> right. They know the process by which was promised. Psalm 110, 1-4, Yeshua was promised to become a high priest. Before his pure and spotless blood was ever quickly referenced, he was promised by the Father to become a high priest. They all knew the context of that description what that temple was, what that priesthood entailed, what the requirements were for making sacrifices. The shoe was never promised just to be a good guy that died for our sins. He was right. promised to become our high priest. And that's a huge contextual qualifier that you've probably watched me have discussions with pastors and they, they don't want to address it. Right. They want to say, I say, well, what's he doing as your high priest? And they say, well, he already did it. He died on the cross. I'm like, well, that's not the job of a high priest. The, the the job of a high priest was never to oh at at the end of your priesthood position after twenty years you get to go die on the cross like that was never the job of a high priest that was a righteous man being persecuted by a wicked and adulterous generation which led to his resurrection and appointment as high priest in his glorified quickened body and he he needed to get to that point because that's what was prophesied of him just like Zechariah nine prophesies his triumphal entry just like. You know, his birth was prophesied before it happened. Just like his um, his death was prophesied in Psalm 22 and Isaiah 53. His priesthood was also prophesied. Just like his resurrection was prophesied in Psalm 1610. His priesthood after his resurrection was also prophesied. So if we put all of the descriptions of our Messiah together, we realize when he died on the cross, that was just part of the, his process. That was part of his descriptions of what would happen to him. The father knew what would happen to him. You know, the same father that knows the end from the beginning, Isaiah 42, 10. So, and then he goes on to say, oh, by the way, he's going to be a high priest forever. And he's going to sit at my right hand, which was a place for the high priest, until I put all of his enemies under his feet, which now implies he's going to be a warrior high priest as well, which is perfectly fitting for a Melchizedek. Right. Yeah. You also see in Psalm 2, he's going to be, the one that comes back and wars against the nations, the king that is that is dis- destined to shatter the nations of the earth like uh, like you know pottery. So we you know he's going to rule with an iron rod. Well, that was the the point of a high priest. He was a king and a ruler um, in Israel. That's why Aaron was given a crown in Leviticus eight. 
as he was an elder who ruled as a king. Yes, Moses was also considered like a king as a, as a prophet who had great authority, but technically Aaron, the high priest, was given an actual crown and is considered one of the ultimate rulers of Israel who was supposed to adjudicate justice and rulership through the law of God. And this is what's promised of our Messiah, who does, who does it forever. And not only is he, is he um, in heaven as high priest, ministering in the temple, as Hebrews 8 says, and he can send the messenger angels to the earth to do and pour out those gifts of the Spirit, as Peter tries to explain in Acts 2. When he comes down to the earth at the appointed time, he'll then rule over the actual nations and enforce the Torah, the justice of the Torah, so that there's peace on the earth. Meanwhile, still being a high priest forever. Right. So, like, this is where we'd have to say, like, in Isaiah 56, 7, when Yahweh promises that on my holy mountain, your your uh, burnt offerings and your sacrifices will be accepted. Talking right. about Zion, right? Same thing with that thing, Ezekiel 22. He talks about, and in the sight of all the nations, he's going to bring all the scattered Israel and their gifts and their holy sacrifices will be accepted in his house on his mountain. That's that's the law of God. That's sacrifices. That means you need a priest to officiate those offerings. Yeah, that's one thing that uh, you can't. That, uh, most people will even accept is like, we know that there's going to be a priesthood that's going to be operating in the kingdom of God as well. So like, why can't it? Why why is it illegitimate right illegitimate right now? You know. And this is why some of the conversations you may have seen. I don't know how much of my videos you've seen, but some of them that you you may have seen or you will see in the future. Um, I, I stop all this uh, scriptural references that I just gave you. I skip all of it and I just say, how do we believe heaven is real? Like, are we going to eat food in heaven? Is it, is it a real place? Is the tree of life really? Do we really get that fruit when we, when we as promised at the, after the resurrection? Like, how real is this promise? Like, do we still believe the Catholic dogma of an ethereal heaven that's more like a ghost land with wispy clouds? Or do we believe in a Hebraic version of heaven that was literally an affirmant enclosed creation model with real land and real trees and real rivers and real animals at peace with each other? And I mean, are there animals in heaven? Yeshua comes back on a white horse. Where do you get that from? Yeah. Yeah. How real do we believe in these promises is the thing. So it, that's part of the, um, when you dig deeper into this and you start realizing, oh, Realizing the applicability of Torah is a, is a hot button topic a lot of people talk about, but honestly, it's just the just the tip of the iceberg. When you start digging down into, okay, wait a minute, okay, wait a minute, wait a minute. God called the law of God eternal, and now I'm a Christian here and believing in Jesus for my salvation. I, I consider myself a disciple of Jesus. I want to do what He did here in the modern 21st century. What does that look like? Okay, well, the law was what He did, so I'm going to practice the law. There's some people that are confused about that, but I but the words are pretty clear. It's eternal. I better practice that. It's good. It's wisdom. It's wise, and I, it's it could benefit my life with blessing. I'm going to practice that. It's practicing righteousness. Deuteronomy 6:25, and then do we get so much flack from just that that so many people stop digging? They stop taking other parts of the book just as literal or just as contextual. So then I'm that crazy dude that just kept going and just said, okay, well, he also mentions a firmament that we're enclosed. Do I take that for real or not? He also mentions that uh, there's going to be a, a huge piece of land coming down through the sky and sitting between the Euphrates and the Nile. It's called the New Jerusalem. And inside that is where I spend my eternal life. Do I believe that or not? Like it's Isaiah 54, 17, Zion's the inheritance of the saints. 
Revelation 21 7. Is that literal place? Like it says it has gates and walls and foundations and trees and river of life and you know God's throne's there, Yeshua's throne is there. Like how real do I truly believe in this book? And right. and as a social, as a thought experiment, if I believed all these descriptions to try to keep them in context according to their definitions as much as possible and be responsible with the text. And if I took what is claimed in the text responsibly and then compared it to the world around me and everything it teaches, how many other things will I find we've been lied to about? And lo and behold, brother, it's, it's crazy. Yeah, it's crazy. And that's where not just in the world, but also in the church, you see oh, the church is adopting these worldly mindsets at a rapid breakneck speed as well. And some of them have been sown for th- hundreds of years into the church tradition. Um, and then therefore you got a church saying that sacrifices were somehow bad and we had to be, we had to be freed from them. And I'm sitting there going, but then why is your Messiah high priest? It says in literally Hebrews two, he's ministering in a temple. There's only one job that a, t- a priest does ministering in a temple. And it's bringing forward holy gifts to the father under specific in- recipes and instructions and requirements. And he has to be a faithful, as Hebrews three says, he's a faithful steward over God's house. That's a great weight and responsibility. Yeah. I think it has, you know, I'm definitely, I've been, I've watched a lot of your videos and I've watched a lot of on, on, on the penal substitutionary atonement topic as well. And I think I have to just re watch them all. And cause I know, you know, we could, you could sit here and, and explain to me the same obje- objections that you've already been had brought to you in all these videos. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to waste, waste your time, but like, you know, the, he became a curse for us and you know, all these different things. So I know you've addressed those before, so I won't waste your time and I'll go look at those videos yeah. again, but yeah, I, I appreciate that uh, explanation. Cause I, you know, you just don't hear that anymore, but it makes t- total sense with, with the Torah and the church has a problem with reconciling a lot of things in the new Testament with the Torah. And that's where you got my ears because th- that's, that's how God taught his people to test everything, right? Is to, is sure. through, through, through Tanakh. So. Well, as you test it, I'll leave you with something from the, from the prophets, um, specifically on this topic, just to consider and, and research. Um, in the same passage, like you, you and I would both agree that we see that, um, the death of Christ on the cross is what it's commonly said to save our souls, create atonement for our sins and bring us justification. Would that be accurate? Yeah. Okay. So we, we agree that that's what we've heard, right? Is that right. that's, that's the common little catchphrase bumper stickers we've heard, right? Right. That his death on the cross saves our souls, atones for our sins and justifies us before God. Now all we got to do is believe in him. <laughs> Isaiah 53 10 says, and prophesying about Yeshua specifically says, by his knowledge, my righteous one will justify the many. So after it's already said by his stripes, we are healed. Then goes on to say by his knowledge, my righteous one will justify the many. And then verse 12 says, and he will bear their iniquities. That is the language of a priest. It's not it, nowhere in there to say, oh, and his death on the cross is it's it's going to secure like his death on the cross is the moment where you're justified and raised to eternal life. Because clearly it's not. Because clearly it's not. It's there was a, the, otherwise there'd be no no reason for him to be resurrected and made a priest and send to heaven. Hebrews 414 and start ministering in the temple up there. 
right? Right. So like all these descriptions are there. It's just that PSA doctrine focuses just on a few of them, right? This takes them out of context, just like all these other topics. So right. I'll just leave that with you, brother. Just do with it what you will. Ask me any questions anytime. And um, and uh, like I said, if you feel like I, after your study, you feel like I've, I've made some grave error, I've overlooked some large piece of, of scripture or uh, series of, of scriptures, you're welcome to bring them to me. I'll gladly um, consider all critiques. Yeah. What I, where I'm not going to go, uh, and I... Um, refuse to go is to say that you're not my brother you've denied the atonement you you you're right. not a, you know so i i appreciate your study and the amount of work you put into these things to talk about things that people don't want to talk about don't even want to touch so i'm i'm willing to yeah. look into this and um yeah imagine I'll, like um i don't know why i like car analogies but like imagine like you're a street racer and you just got this amazing souped up car that you've just been winning all these all these races with and you're just like, man, I've got this, I've got this Hemi engine. I don't know cars, honestly, but whatever. But you, you have this amazing, you're bragging about all these things in your car that you're passionate about. Cause you spent like hundreds of thousands of dollars putting all these specialized parts in your car to make it reliable and super fast. All I see is you winning. And I'm like, that dude's a winner. That guy's got an amazing car and he's winning and the women love him. And he's got all this prize money. He is a winner and you come to me and you're like, man, yeah, it's cool that you think I'm winning, but let me explain to you why I'm winning. And I go, yeah, man, I don't know about all that. That sounds crazy, but you're a winner. You know what I mean? Like that's <laughs> the same. And you're sitting here trying to tell me about your disc brakes and why you have a special clutch and why all this. And I, and I don't comprehend it because it's the first time I've heard it. And then I'm just dismissing it and being like, yeah, I don't, I don't know all that, but the more you explain it, the weirder it sounds. So I just, I'm just excited that you're a winner. That's what churches has trained most Christians to behave as they're just cheerleaders for Christ, but they're never asking how, what is he doing right now? Like they, some of them, when you ask him that, they just say, oh, he's literally, he's at the right hand of the father. I'm like, he's been sitting down for 2000 years. Don't you think that's like an underutilization of the most amazing character in creation? Right. Like that, that's, that's all he's doing. Like sitting down for 2000 years. Like, are you serious? Like, no. What if the Bible said he's doing something else? Oh, lo and behold, it does. And let's dig into those descriptions and see what it says. So, that's a great but the analogy. average person is just in cheerleading mode. You know, they can't get out of cheerleading mode because they're told if they ever get out of cheerleading mode, they're somehow denigrating the person they've been cheerleading. It's a, right. it's a twisted suppression of the actual details of what your Messiah, why it was such a big deal for him to be sent and live and die for you and sacrifice his life for you to get to this appointed, wonderful, exalted, honored position that most people just poo poo and say, Oh no, he's not a priest. I mean, he's not literally, yeah, it calls him a priest, but he's, you know, you're a temple. So he's ministering inside of you. And I'm like, I sure hope not because that's not the description of any of those words. And that gets awkward. His Holy Spirit that he sends as a deposit within me leads me <laughs> into discipleship. But like otherwise, we're just using words to be using words and not using them according to the definitions. We don't do that with other parts of the Bible. So why would we suddenly do that with Yeshua's priesthood? So that's all. That's all. I just I, I get to me. It's like the gospel of the kingdom that you hear me talk about on my channel. I feel like is the skeleton key to opening up a clear understanding of, of the law and the prophets in the new Testament and the whole end of the story and the new Jerusalem coming down from heaven. And it makes perfect sense. It's what Yeshua preached in that story is Yeshua's character involvement as high priest to make it all a reality. So like we, we started our channel with a unique um, disposition 
to say, what if we started talking about what Jesus talked about? Remember, like I told you, and many years ago, I asked myself, well, if I could just, if I could just have all my words closely match what Jesus said every day, then I won't sin. Like he didn't sin. If I could just adopt that mindset and then I'll start doing that behavior and then I'll, and I'll get rid of all this sin out of my life and I'll be more like Jesus. And then when I started to actually try to do that, I realized very quickly, he's just keeping the law of God. Right. So, because I was reading the rest of the Bible too, but at the same time, I think to myself, all right, well, what happens if I preach the gospel of the kingdom of God, which was his message? How would people respond to that? Because he was getting incredible responses when he went out and preached. So that's why we started our channel to talk about the gospel of the kingdom of God, hence the name kingdom of context. And part of, I don't know if you've ever seen, have you ever seen our context branches? Uh, I've, I've heard you reference them. I don't know if I've seen a visual. Okay. Um, but basically we just like, it's in some of our earlier videos. We showed it in the first few minutes. Um, and it's just okay. a, I may have seen a, it a badly, a badly designed tree <laughs> uh, with the leaves. The leaves are points of light, you know, to represent, to represent resurrected saints. But in it, I have like, you know, 12 to 13 different thematic themes, you know, like uh, Sheol, um, New Jerusalem, the covenants, the priesthood, you know, all that kind of stuff, right? Just like these big points of context, if you understand them, the Bible's super easy. And, and one of them, the base of the tree is the gospel of the kingdom, because that was the message of Yeshua, right? He preached the kingdom's coming and he's going to be the king of the kingdom, you know? And so uh, that was how we started. And then as it started progressing, I, I started realizing one of the biggest thematic things on the context tree that everyone's overlooking is this priesthood idea. And so I too was surprised when I started to, I thought it was like common knowledge, like, oh, these are just metaphors. Like Yeshua literally didn't take buckets of his blood up to heaven and start splashing around everywhere. Like these are just metaphors for something. Uh, prefer, and then when I started digging, I was like, oh, these are metaphors for his purity, his obedience. Like that's, you know, that's how he was considered righteous and, and given the position he was, right? So he literally didn't take his human blood, which Yahweh does not accept in his temple anyway, and then walk in there and start doing stuff with it. Um, and so uh, then I thought to myself, all right, well, people don't seem, and I started talking about it and getting more flack than probably any other topic that I started talking about. If while getting that flack, if the people had shown me from the scriptures, oh, hey, you're claiming this is a meta, the, the reference of his blood is a metaphor for his obedience, but that's not true because of all these other verses. Had they had shown me that, I may have reconsidered talking about it the way I was or the way I did with you tonight. But instead, they just said, oh, no, you're wrong. You're denying Christ. You're a heretic. And then ignoring the hundreds of other verses and prophecies describing his priesthood and showing no competency in their understanding of that. And so then I realized, okay, we have a problem here. <laughs> we have a serious problem. Like the wonderful honor position of our Messiah, no one even understands it. This is why in some of my earlier discussions, I start asking uh, some of the pastors and guests I have on, why was Yeshua sent? And they just look at me like, I don't know. Like, I mean, though they say, oh, to die for your sins. I'm like, okay, that was a means to his actual prophesied reason. He wasn't just sent to die. That was prophesied that that would happen when he gets sent. But why? What's the end result? Why was he sent? And it was to, and they'll say, oh, it's to make atonement for you. Like, yes, that happens too. But why was he actually sent? Like, and, and some of them even who know a little bit more will say, oh, so, so that you could have resurrection to raise you to an alarm, John 3, 16, that you would believe in him. 
Like, awesome. So how does he do that? It's only through what was prophesied of him, which is disposition of priesthood. So essentially, to talk about the role that the Messiah is playing right now is to further venerate and honor the actual Torah given by Yahweh to mankind. Because in that Torah, he gave us the, the priesthood process explained to know how he was going to create atonement unto resurrection for us through his son. So I, I view it all to me as understanding and teaching Torah. I, it, it funneled me over time to realizing, oh, here's a huge component piece of the Torah that no one understands. And I have to teach about it because it literally is the job of my Messiah right now. So if they want to better know him and understand him, I got to give them the foundation, which is to help them understand the priesthood concept as well. And so that's been an interesting journey over the past two years because we're getting a lot of flack about it. Yeah. So, yeah, you won't get it. It's a great long. question. Yeah, I I really appreciate you digging into that subject. And um, I, I like I said, I'm, I'm going to either lock arms or come back with more 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 questions and challenges. So but I, I think that you do a really good job explaining it from the scriptures. And it's I think that's why it's frustrating. A lot of people who just strongly disagree with you is because it it's really hard to argue. And, and so when I, when I hear that, I, I relate to that with so many different subjects that I've seen yeah. that same reaction from. So I'm like, this is something I need to look into as well, because this is, this is the same, same argument, same kind of spirit that calls you an antichrist for saying that, you know, or you've d denied Christ because you, you think that the Levitical priesthood is some, is legitimate even, even while Christ. Well, is I also distinguish, yeah, I also distinguish the difference between the the Levites of mortal mankind versus resurrected Yeshua in the Melchizedek priesthood and to let them know. And so, yeah, you're right. I get a knee jerk the moment I literally read Hebrews chapter eight, one through four. I just read the words and they're like, and I say, well, where's this temple he's ministered in? And they're like, oh, don't you know you are the temple of God? And I'm like, okay, but it says this one's in heaven. This is not a temple made by man's hands. This is a, a temple in heaven at the right hand of the father ministering in the true temple in heaven. And that's where he is. So right. what's he doing? And they'll just ignore it or say, oh, it doesn't. So it's not even me coming to some sort of eisegetical conclusion. It's just literally me reading the words and I get the knee jerk. And so I agree with you. That's that to me, that's a, a little a red flag that, okay, we have a, we have a problem here. Right. You know what I mean? It's like the doctor tapping your knee and suddenly, you, you know, obviously it's a reflex test, but this is like a theological bad doctrine reflex test, right? Whenever we, uh, we hit a certain, a certain sensitive area and we get an unnatural reaction and we're like okay what's going on here let's investigate so yeah brother i really appreciate the question i think it's great uh great to dig into that kind of stuff because it just only honors and venerates our messiah even more and um so we can know what to look forward to so then we're not surprised at the resurrection when we walk up to the new jerusalem and the wedding supper of the lamb there's actual real meat there that's been served <laughs> right so <laughs> we see in the distance the actual temple from which that real meat was actually slaughtered and prepared properly according to god's instructions and we're wait, not wait, i thought he was done with the lamb yeah we're at the we're that awkward guy at the wedding supper table going Jesus, you aren't really a priest, are you? Doing you killing animals over there? Are you killing animals? Like, like we're not going to be that awkward Uncle Eddie at the uh, at the wedding supper that's causing issues. Yeah, I don't want to be. So, I don't want to be him. We don't. We don't. We don't want to do that. Um, we want to be well informed, as First Peter talks about, increasing in the knowledge of God. That's our goal. So, brother, I really appreciate you coming on. Um, anything you, uh, you want to talk about before you go? No, I just wanted to uh, say I appreciate you have invited me on it was such an honor to be on here and talk with you i've been looking forward to this for 
since you, since you invited me, but I was oh, hoping this hey, would happen. Hey, uh, brother, you, you just went on mute. Can you hear me? Oh, like can, five seconds ago, you just. Went I can on hear mute. you. Can you hear me? Can you hear me? Can you hear me? I don't know if any. Can you hear me now? Okay, I can hear you now. I'm not sure what happened. Oh, okay. Is it delayed now? No, no. I'm, I don't know if it was on my end or what, but I, uh, you're back now. I hear you. So I'm sorry to interrupt you. Go ahead. No worries. No, I just wanted to let you know that I, I really appreciate you inviting me on here, and I hope that we can discuss again. It's been a privilege, and I'm excited. Awesome. Yeah, brother. I'd love to have you on again. Um, and guys, if you, the video description, or excuse me, the link to his channel is in the video description. Outside the camp, you're a player. Go check him out. Subscribe to him. Give him some, some positive views. Check out some of his videos. And don't forget, the way YouTube has redesigned things, you have both videos and then the live tab. And so he has video. Also, he has videos under the live tab as well. So don't miss those as well. And uh, yeah, brother, I appreciate you coming on. Sorry to keep. Thanks for being able to stay up late with me tonight. And uh, we hope to see you again in the future, okay? All right, brother. Thanks again. Yeah, you're welcome. All right, we'll see you next time. All right, guys. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, this was a, a good discussion, a little bit longer. I appreciate everyone that stuck around for this. And uh, give the thumbs up if you liked it. Share it on your socials if you did as well. And just huge shout out to everyone that is uh, supporting us through Patreon and every other means that is available, including even, even up into including uh, getting one of our contextual study guides. Hopefully it's a blessing to you. You guys are awesome. Don't forget to download the app so you can connect with other people, learn about scripture, be notified when new videos come out. And we got more cool things being built into the app right now. You guys are awesome. Appreciate you. We'll see you next time.